If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Oh man, it was uh, it was great having somebody that I used to read about and watch in the bodybuilding magazines and shit. Yeah, very. Since when I was growing up and all into that stuff. Very, very cool to do this, man. I mean, I I've always thought that Flex Wheeler had the and me personally, what I think is the the most amazing, awesome physique ever. Like I just think the way sure. his physique was built, it was in 93 or 94, the, the show. And I think in 93 is when he won uh, the Arnold Classic. And, and that's, I mean, it's it's widely regarded as one of the best presentations of a physique of all time. That, that's, that's what I believe. When you looked at his waist to shoulder to leg, calf, everything ratio, and the, his conditioning mm-hmm. and muscle separation that he had, I, it, it's just gorgeous. It, just, yeah. it was absolutely awe- amazing to me. And bodybuilding's changed so much, but what a fun conversation! It's just so cool that because we have this platform, I get to meet. You know, I mean, again, this is somebody I looked up to. I used to read all the magazines in the '90s when I was a kid when I first started working out. And Flex Wheeler is like one of the biggest celebrities to me as a kid. And having a podcast and being able to invite people like him on and get to meet him. And then on the other, the, the other thing about Flex is. There's a lot of controversy around him, and the guy is very open. He's an open book. We ask him about his life. He talks to us about you know, battling with suicide, getting molested as a kid. He talks about drug abuse. He talks about the steroid use in bodybuilding. He talks about competing in the 90s versus today. We even got controversial and talked about you know some of the recent politics that are going on right now. I mean, I, I like him. I didn't know him as a person. I respected him as a as a bodybuilder and as a as kind of that celebrity in that world. But now, of course, get to know the guy. I love the guy. Yeah. Great dude, super open. We had a is a two hour over two hour podcast with him. What so we no, had a great no. conversation. Yeah, I did it. And you know, it uh I mean it came out the gates pretty quick, but about 30, 40 minutes in it really it really turned up a notch, I think, and we got really deep uh with him and very personal with his life and uh i love that he's such an open book i mean that's there's totally as an interviewer nothing's more fun than interviewing somebody who you know is not afraid to just speak his mind and then it's up to us to ask the right questions and you know i thought we did a pretty good job of navigating him through that and you're right we even touched on a little bit of the the kaepernick stuff that's going on which it was cool to hear his perspective and we had a little discussion around that and you know, with his his being a cop uh, in his background, I think that's really cool. And so that was a great. I mean, the whole thing was just a great conversation. I hope everybody really yeah. enjoys. If it. If you want to see what uh, the what bodybuilding embodied in a physical uh, human and what it's supposed to look like, I guess um, go to his Instagram. Look at some of his old videos and pictures. Uh, his Instagram page is at official flex wheeler. And then he just started a YouTube channel where he posts some of his, his, his videos. And you can find that on YouTube. It's just Flex Wheeler. Um, and, uh, oh, we also mentioned our sponsor, Everlywell. We talked about testosterone replacement therapy and testing your testosterone. Of course, Everlywell makes tests that you can do at home for lots of different things, including hormone tests. If you go to everlywell.com and use the code MINDPUMP, you'll get 15% off any test, including the testosterone tests, which are really inexpensive uh, to begin with. Also, before we get into the episode, uh, we have, uh, don't forget to go check out our MAPS programs. If you go to mapsfitnessproducts.com, you can look at all the different MAPS programs that we have. 
Uh, they're all designed for different goals. And then we also offer bundles where we combine multiple maps programs and discount them. Uh, for example, we have a build your butt bundle. We have a super bundle, which is a year of exercise programming. We have a bundle designed for people who want to get shredded. We have a bundle designed for people who are always on the go and you know work a lot. Um, lots of different options. All the information you can find on our site, mapsfitnessproducts.com. And without any further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Flex Wheeler. Does everybody call you Flex or Ken or? Flex, Mostly yeah. Flex, yeah. My old friends who I have no contact with anymore, when they, they try to say, hey, Ken, I'm like, come on, man, you know. Yeah, I'm Flex. That's like saying Magic's name. It's real name. Hey, Julius. Like, <laughs> that's true. That's crazy. Speaking of that, where did, where did the origin of that come from? I, I mean, was that something that- Was that from bodybuilding or before? No, nah, it was almost, it was pretty much a derogatory comment. I was- Oh, really? Just, yeah, I was just a typical skinny kid, you know, just, I graduated. I wasn't even over 100 pounds when I graduated out of high school, so- I got into um, bodybuilding and started my career in martial arts and got into bodybuilding later on. And just, I guess, a typical small man's complex, you know, just walking around trying to be big. And, <laughs> and guys are like, why are you always flexing? You know, here comes flex again. So it was oh. kind of a negative thing. Oh, but, wow. oh shit. Yeah. That's, That's wow. cool, though. That you, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it caught on. And uh, the first actual bodybuilding show I did, the promoter had knew about it. He goes, I'm going to call you flex. I'm like, come on, don't do that. And I uh, went out on stage, like, next Flex Wheel, and the crowd went crazy. I was a little skinny pencil, but it's, the name kind of stuck, you know. So and it, worked yeah, it worked out. out. It worked out. One so. of the things I appreciate that you, you talk about a lot, and it's something that we share on the show, is that we actually talk about a, a lot of what drove us into fitness yeah. was our insecurities. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly that, you know, being skinny guys, yeah. wanting to be bigger. And, you know, I know from the being in fitness for as long as I have, it's actually more common than you would think. It is. Right? Even in MMA, you hear about it in martial arts, you know, either your big brother or somebody was beating your butt or just that and the other. And, you know, you just got into it mm -hmm. and now you just want to make everybody pay. Right. Know? Yeah. And now you have a very interesting, I followed you quite a bit in the 90s. I was a huge fan of bodybuilding. You were definitely one of my favorites. I, I, I refer to you as the probably the greatest uncrowned uh, Mr. Olympia of Thank all time. You. Thank you. Um, but Actually, I just got awarded that. By, did you really? By, yeah. Um, um, there's a uh, organization on um, Instagram and they're pretty prominent now with just following the whole career. So they just did a countdown of the top 10 or top 30 um, bodybuilders who never won a Mr. Olympia. And Second was Kevin. I thought he would win. Kevin was, Kevin yeah. would be my second yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. second was Kevin and I was a first. So yeah, thank you. That's, That's awesome. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great to be um, acknowledged by your peers and especially, you know, people are extremely competitive. I mean, what more do you want? Mm. You know, I mean, um, you know, just to be accepted for your color or regardless of what race you are, your color, your sex, or, you know, who you care to sleep with. I think the most important thing is no matter what, we just want to be accepted. Excellent. So, Excellent. You know, so for my peers to accept me like that, it's, it's great. It's better than winning Olympia. Yeah. So. You're, you're often referred to as the, as one of the most aesthetic, uh, pleasing looking bodybuilders of all time. It used to be Frank Zane. Now I think I hear your na yeah, name Frank. more often, but <clears throat> you, you have an interesting childhood. You have a very interesting, you know, story leading up to bodybuilding. So I want to kind of go back a little bit. Now you grew up in California, right? Yep. California, Fresno. California. Fresno. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. In, 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 you, you got into martial arts first. How did that happen? What was your childhood like? And then eventually how did you get into bodybuilding? <laughs> so yeah, I had a colorful uh, childhood. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it was rough. Um, I grew up right around the time that the uh, Crips and the Bloods had just formed in Fresno. So you had, you know, based on neighborhoods, you had you know, cousins and, and kin folks killing each other, you know, because of that line. It didn't have anything to do with family anymore. So 
that was rough. I mean, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, single, you know, parent, you know, just typical American family, you mm-hmm. know, sad to say, but single parent. And, um, you know, my mom tried to do the best she could. Um, we were on welfare. And, uh, yeah, the neighborhood was kind of rough. It was just, um, you know, fighting or somebody getting beaten or, or you know, jumped or something like that it was just normal. So uh, me, you know, I just um, I was really non-conflict. I just... I don't know. I was just a quiet kid, you know, before I got destroyed by the world and became the person that I am now. But got it picked on a lot, got beat up on a lot. Um, I think around the age of seven, I um, nine, I got into martial arts. Um, the recreational center, actually it was called Ivy uh, Recreational Center, um, had a movie and they played Bruce Lee, um, oh, Enter yeah. the Dragon. And I just, I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with it. I, I, I felt his character. I, you know, I could identify to it. And ironically, a week later, they started offer, offering martial arts uh, for free. So I'm like, yeah, I'm all in, you know. So I just, um, I, I just, I was all in. I was 100. percent You know, I went to school every day I could uh, to train, and I loved it. And I followed what the teacher and our instructor said, and. You know, I ended up becoming pretty good at it. But on the streets and in school, I still couldn't bring myself to harm anyone. But in the ring, I would. I, it's not that I tried to harm anyone. It's, I understood that it was a competition and I wanted to inflict my will on you. And it was probably some back, you know, background noise about being beat up all the time on the streets and just wanting to show myself. So, you know, funny is um, <clears throat> the bullies at school uh, in junior high at the time, you know, I was terrified of them. So I would invite him to my school, oh, knowing right. that I would have to fight him. And then I would just annihilate him. It was just, something would just click. I, I don't know. Um, and then they would go back to school and they would tell. So I didn't have to fight anyone at school because the bullies would go around and tell. But I still couldn't bring myself to fight on the street. I remember even my siblings, you know, just as brothers and sisters do, would just have a field day, just beat me up. Even neighborhood kids would beat me up. And I would just... I would stand there and think, if I hit him, I'm going to hurt him. Or, you know, if I hit their nose, what if I break it? Or what if I kick him in the ribs? You know, I might break. And that's, that was my thought. So I, I couldn't hit a person, you know, in the streets. And finally, it just, it clicked over. I remember um, my brother Darnell was picking on me as usual. And um, something just clicked. And um, he said something, and I just lit him up from top to bottom. And that was the end of it. You know, the younger brother became the big brother. Mm-hmm. And, um, but... I was just wired like that. I just, you know, I embraced it. I just loved it. But, you know, it was it was a rough childhood. But, you know, molestation, I was molested when I was a kid. You know, I was homeless, you know, as I grew up. Um, you know, I had to wear second hand-me-downs. Just a typical, you know, horror story. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, what I found is I, I wouldn't be any pers- any of the person that I am now if I hadn't went through those things. So, and, you know, more so than that, everybody's been through something, you know, you know, you talk to somebody who's been through something, something traumatic to them. That's the most traumatic thing they've been through. You can't compare it to yours. Right. Mm. It, you know, you can identify what well, this is really worse but for that person who went through it. No, that's the most traumatic thing they went through. Right. So everybody has been through something. OK, so um, and I I begin to understand that. So now moving forward to where I am now, it's. It's helped me to be the person that I am, good, bad, ugly, whatever. I wouldn't be that person if did, you took anything. How long away. did it take you, Flex, to, to, to shift your mindset like that? Because I imagine, you know, and I, I have a, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities in your story as my story growing up. Um, I grew up in an abusive home. We also know what it's like to be on food stamps and yeah. welfare. My real father committed suicide when I was seven. 
So I, I can totally relate to your story in, yeah. in many ways. And I know I carried a lot of an animosity sure. in early years, and it took me a lot of growing before I started to piece that together and almost become grateful for what I went through because mm -hmm. it, it made me into like this piece of iron, I feel like, that I've, I wasn't afraid of anything else because mm -hmm. of all the shit that I went through. What, do you remember that, that transition for you? And did you also kind of carry a little bit of animosity? Oh, yeah. Um, so... You know, one thing I left, I, I was suicidal as a kid. You know, first time I tried to commit suicide, I was 13, 12, something oh, wow. like that. And I continued throughout my life and even into my pro, you know, career where I'm winning all these shows and making all this money. And, you know, seven story house was my first house I bought on Venice and, you know, Harley in a driveway. And uh, I actually did a car lot. And um, um, I think I had a SL 500 and a BMW, you know, just kid that didn't have it crap, you know, so... But I'd go out, you know, I remember I'd go out when the honor classic, come back home and try to kill myself, you know, just, mm. I would, you know, so I was also a police officer in Fresno for a while. So <clears throat> I, I, I love guns. I love weapons. Um, you know, I was trained with weapons and, you know, my martial artist who I owe everything to, Ty McGuire, you know, he was just a very militant, you know, person. He believes in like, you know, adventurous stuff, like being able to make your own water out of bad water, you know, taking what he calls a go bag, have your go bag always ready and your weapons that you, he's one of those type of guys. Yeah. So he trained you that way in martial arts. So, um, I just, I remember, you know, the things that I, I had to go through and, um, to answer your question, I don't, I don't actually know when it clicked because I'm aware that I created this alter ego, not, not knowing it this flex wheeler guy when I got bigger and stronger and all that stuff. So I didn't really take crap from anyone and I was quick to give it back to him. I wouldn't start it, but I'd be really quick to, to make it happen. So if you want to make it happen, I'm like, you know, I'm like the weather. You walk outside and it's sunny, you know, take your jacket off, you know, it's cold, put your jacket on. That's the way I was, you know, back then. Just React. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want to make happen. I'm not going to make it happen, but if you wanted to, I'm going to instigate it and try to, you know, accelerate it as much as possible. So not knowing this kid who got abused a lot, you know, that's where this Flex Wheeler character came to play. And as I started identifying to that and actually meeting people, you know, globally who was very in tune to that type of stuff, they'd be like, there's a few of you in there. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? You know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, meeting some considerable people, not really friends, but re people really close to me, like, you know, there's there's like six of you. And I'm like, the F you mean by that? But I would grapple with it. No matter whatever happened to me, whether I agreed with you or not, I'd go back to, you know, to my own whatever and I'd grapple with my thoughts about that. So right around like my late 20s, it was late for me because I was so wrapped up into trying to be this person to try to be as good as I, I wouldn't identify to anything. Right. So, but um, I would probably have to say I, I really, it really clicked with me in my mid thirties. And that was the last time that I, not last time, but actually one of the, the closest I ever came to committing suicide. I, you know, I'd been going through it my whole childhood and, you know, the more people know it, the bad thing about it is, um, you start getting annoyed because people think you're faking. Uh, you're not going to do it. I would not. So, you know, what it does is it actually spurs you on to do it, to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, oh, what about your kids? What about... So your thought in that is the quicker I pull this trigger, I won't have to worry about that. So it's, it's trying to force you into doing it. And, you know, and you're going through all these emotions. Oh, my kids are going to be looking at my cough and this, that. All the, though you, you realize and you graphically see all of it, the only way to make it go away is hurry up and pull the trigger. I only have to feel this as long as, you know, I'm here. So hurry up and pull the trigger. So, you know, one of the worst times is like, you know what, I'm tired of this, you know, so-and-so knows, this person knows. 
and they think oh, I'm gonna prove them wrong. I'm gonna prove them wrong. I'm just gonna do it. And for the first time ever, I just heard this weird sound in me, like, yeah, go ahead and pull the trigger so you can come be with me. And I'm like, hmm, that's not what I want. I just want this shit not to happen. I just want this to end. That's not what I want. And then I realized that's not a way out. It's not a way out. It's a way in that you can never get out. It's a freaking membership that you never cancel that membership. You're, you're a VIP at the worst party ever. And it's not going to ever, 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 ever stop. I'm like, that's not what I want. I just want this. So what I realize is every day I wake up, I have an opportunity of changing that. And that's when it really cl started clicking for me. Like, what's wrong with you? What are these problems? What are these issues? And identifying to them and stuff like that. So probably around my mid thirties well, is when. Did yeah. you did you work through all this? Like, because when you talk about it, it sounds like it, a lot of this is yourself. Did you not have to go to therapy or anything like that? I mean, you know, um, I don't. For me, that just didn't work, and it was probably the people. Um, in '94, when I got into my car accident, um, you know, it was a lot of rift behind that because of who I was, and you know, we thought we were going to sue Mercedes and. Actually, you know, somebody I met before that, uh, Dr. Dre, you know, I went to a party with him. So he ended up introducing me to his lawyer and she took the case like, yeah, I'll take this pro bono. You're going to own Mercedes, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 um, because of how the car broke down. Um, <clears throat> and it came out to, you know, find out that Mercedes is one of the most aggressive companies you never sue. I mean, they'll just take you through. I mean, you can sue Rolls Royce. How many Rolls Royces are out in the street? Not very many. How many Mercedes? Yeah, so, so. I mean, I literally had to have um tent put on all my windows. I don't know how many windows in a house it was at the time, seven, seven story. I had to get rid of my Mercedes because they gave me a new one because they were trying to prove that, hey, Mercedes is not safe, so you can't own one. So Mercedes stretched it out. And I remember hearing about there was like 11, you know, these big bodies. We used to call them big bodies back in the I days because they were right. Yeah. So it was 11 of these big body Mercedes lined up down a freeway where I had a car accident in, and they came within 10 miles of my actual speed, 179. So they came at, you know, 176 and I'm like, and he goes, these people don't mess around. So what they end up doing is switching around. Like, listen, you destroyed our car that you're responsible, this, that, and other drop your lawsuit or else we'll counter sue you. And my lawyer's like, after a year, they're like, we're out of money. We can't take this. Wow. Take it. And the joke was they gave me a dollar, a check. So obviously to, to finish. Yeah. Geez. So, um, so yeah, that's, um, the first time I went and seen a psychiatrist because they're like, you need help, you know, this, that, and other because my thoughts came back of killing myself. Here I am landing, you know, a car in 1994 was, 1993 was the best career that I ever had, you know, four pro shows, so, for, uh, four pro shows, uh, ranked number two in the world, just kid from ghetto. Like, Was wow. that when you won Arnold Classic? Yep, yep. The first. That was the, that's a lot of people refer to that as the best physique right. in bodybuilding history yeah. was your presentation. So that was 93 mm -hmm. um, when I um, uh, won the Arnold Classic, the Ironman, the Grand Prix. Uh, yeah. So Grand God, Prix. what a roller coaster then. So you, uh, you, so got, you like, had to feel on top of the world. And then just bottomed out. <laughs> so all those things came back about, I'm checking out, I'm just going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get better? I broke my neck, C5, C6. I broke my collarbone. My eye um, was, it was, was swollen out my head. My ear was ripped off. I'm like, how do you catch guys who are running 100 miles an hour and you got to be dead still? And they're going to keep running 100 miles an hour for months. How do I? So I just, I checked out. So my, you know, lawyer had me go see a psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist um, and it was just a mistake. I mean, I for the first time I told a person that how I was molested and all these things. So he sat up there for an hour, listened to me just pour out things I've never told another person. And he looked at me like, that stuff happened a long time ago. You need to get over that. 
and I mean, you know, I was very big then, you know, and I was extremely violent if you pushed me. And I just looked at him like, dude, I'll fuck you up in here. <laughs> I go, nobody will never know. Yeah. You know, I will lock this door and beat you. So I just walked out and I talked to my lawyer about it. She goes, you know what? A lot of times people get into that, that, that business because of their problems. Hmm. And she said, what happened is you brought up something or some things that he's never gotten over. And that's what he's telling himself. Mm -hmm. Just get over it. Just move on. It happened before. So I just was effed up, you know. So at the end of the day, if you go see help, if you go get help, um, you have to make that decision. I don't care what a person tells you. You need to hear it and then use it, right? So I just kind of just really talked to myself. And I still do because I still have these issues. So I'm ongoing you know, trying to counsel myself with the man upstairs who's in control of everything. And I think at the end of the day, that's what gets me through everything. I was just going to ask you, what do you, what is it that keeps pulling you back from that brink that keeps pulling you back to, to being here? You've mentioned now a voice and you now mentioned yeah. the man upstairs. Is it, is it your faith? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I was raised that way and that's why it really messed me up when I heard that voice. Like, yeah, come be with me. Cause after all of what 20 something years of trying to do this, I thought it was just a way out and it just never hit me that way. So I was raised that way. I mean, my grandmother, you know, raised me and she was just the most incredible woman I ever met. I mean, she was born in um, 1909. So imagine a black woman in 1909, what possibly she's seen. And she always raised me, you know, Kenny, they're just good and they're just bad. It's just good people and bad people. She never said color. So I was raised that way. I, I didn't see color. I seen mm -hmm. good and bad. Now I am aware that the world sees that, mm -hmm. but I just don't, you know. Um, so yeah, I was raised that way and that's just what kept me rooted. I think that's the main reason why I'm probably still here because what I've been able to do is a lot of the things I've been through, I've, I've been able to help other people and I could never, never sit in that room with them. I could never sit in a room with a a person who's been molested or, you know, homeless or know what it's like to to, have, to be hungry or, you know, um, suicidal or, you know, the diseases that I had, the rare disease, the kidney transplant, you know, 11, 11 surgeries in, in nine, um, nine weeks. Um, I would never be able to sit and talk to somebody who's been through that unless I've been through it. So I've really just tried to, you know, take everything that I've been through and try to help other people well, when they come well, to me. Because of your faith, do you ever think that maybe you were put in this position of, you know, super popular bodybuilder and, and getting your, you know, so lots of people have eyes on you so that you could be that example. So you're going through those challenges, but you're also someone people could look up to you. Yeah. You I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I don't like it, you know, cause it's rough. I mean, life is rough. Right. But I'm aware that, you know, there's a biblical saying, you know, a light is put on a hill to be seen. And I get that if you're for whatever reason, if people are attracted to you, whether you're a star or a great athlete, a movie star, whatever, you're that light way up on a hill. People can see you from a far distance. You're put there for a reason. And I think that's the reason why we we're put there. Now, a lot of us will take that power that we're given and misuse it. I did my whole career. Mm. But truly, I, I, that's the reason why you, those are gifts. I mean, in the Bible, it says that clearly some people are given these gifts, some people are given these, you know, so all of us have our gift. We all have a gift. It's just how we choose. We just have the right to choose. So, 100% I know that for a fact. It doesn't bring me comfort because the reality is you have to go through that. It's right? still hard, but at least it gives you some purpose. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's probably one of the greatest things is, is not the awards I won or any money that I won or anything or, or crazy things. It's, it's hearing someone else that you can help because you know what it's like in that dark place. And 
you know, it was a person who just contacted me on the internet. I won't say his name, but, um, it was on Instagram and he just sent me a message about, you know, he broke up with his girl. He's madly in love with her or she broke up with him and he wanted to kill himself. And I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to that message because I got so many messages. Actually, I just blurred through it and just forgot about it um, because I was busy doing other things. And, and then I remember he sent me another message um, just saying today's a day and that caught my attention. Oh, and then I went back up and read all the messages. I'm like, crap. And I'm like, you know, um, what's going on? How can I help you? He's like, you can't help me. I just want to let you know. I just seen your, you know, your London Reel video that you just did. And, you know, you just really spoke to me. And it's just, um, you know, I just, I heard this voice and it was your voice saying, don't do it. And I was like, you know, man, call me, call me right now. He goes, no, I'm not going to call you. I'm just some white kid from the Hick town, but, you know, back east, I mean, back um, south. And I'm just a nobody. And I said, you know what? I'm just some black kid from the ghetto. You know, I'm nobody either. Call me. And I was actually with my daughter um, at the time and he called me um, and we just had an amazing conversation and very respectful kid. Everything he was from those cultures. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, and um, and it just broke my heart. You know, I started crying too on the phone with him. Um, But, you know, he's still here and he says and we stay in contact and he's like, you know, I'm doing okay today. And, you know, today ain't a good day. I'm like, today ain't a good day for me, man. This is what I'm going through. And I'm like, don't think it's ever going to get better. It's going to go up and down like a bi-rhythm goes up and down and up and down. You just got to ride it. You know, you got to ride it. And to this day, you know, he's has a home now and he's back working and, you know, he's really financially, you know, pretty well off before all this happened. So come on, man, it's no money that's going to bring that to you, you know, or when you meet someone and they say, Hey, you know, because of this, you went through, I had strength to go through this. And I'm like, and here I am, when I look in the mirror, I see this weak person, you know what I mean? So that empowers me when I hear stories from other people like, if you can affect them like that, how can you, what's wrong with you? You can't, you can't affect yourself that way. But yeah, you know, Interesting. A, a lot of people that have, have got stories like yourself or myself, try and feel, fill that void, um, with success and money and, and women and right. And women. And, Sorry, maybe, I mean, maybe some guys. Is, no, no, that's 100%, 100% true right there. And, <laughs> And, and then there, and then there comes a time when you kind of, when you reach that, when it, you have all of that at your disposal, you know, do you, do you remember that? Do you remember learning those yep, lessons? I like, do. I remember, um, I just bought, um, another Mercedes, an SL 500 and I was in a car, um, we were driving down, I think it was belly, um, where were we in Hollywood? Oh, Bel Air. Yeah. Bel Air area. And uh, it was me and my training partner, Rico. And, um, and I we're driving and, you know, got the, you know, hook the top off and hats flipped back. Cause I was, you know, in a base in the days back then. And, and Rico has always been, you know, he's always been a leader of our club. Everybody always thought I was because I won and, and he didn't win and he was still an amateur, but he was always the leader. You know, he probably wasn't aware, but I listened to him, even I argued, I went back and did, you know, like he had said and everything, but we're driving it. And he was always more secure than me. You know, I remember we all worked at Roxbury, uh, famous Roxbury. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting time. So he was always very comfortable with himself. He was even less off financially than I was. You know, he drove an old Datsun 280Z. So you got to remember, this is like 94. And he's driving a Datsun 280Z. So you know how old that is. Yeah. And, he was a big boy, sort of car leaned to one side because he was so heavy and it was just like, you know, food all over the place, but it didn't matter. He'd pull up to a girl in a Rolls Royce and just spit at her. I'm like, I couldn't do that. 
I would have on my best, I'd have to have on my best clothes, my jewelry sticking out, you know, my top back before I could even feel comfortable, you know, and he just like, he was very comfortable with us and I envied him for that in a good way. I was like, wow, how can you do that? I just, so what? So what? She got a nice car. Who cares? Or we'd be at the club. He'd spit out the A-list actress. And I'm like, dude, he goes, Effer, if she don't want me, go to the next one. And I'm like, <sighs> so we're driving and um, I'm like, Rico, like money don't make you happy, does it? And he turned at me and he gave me this eerie look. And he's like, damn, Flex, you finally figuring that out, huh? And I'm like, wow. Because so, I, I never could go nowhere without like at least four or $5,000 in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And like I said, to even feel comfortable when talking to somebody, I had to have all my accessories because I had no self-esteem. No self-esteem. So I wanted you to see my watch or my car or whatever. Respect that. And then because I own those, maybe Rio respect me. That was me instead of respect me because of who I am mm. and because of the person I am, not my status, but just because I'm a person. I didn't never had that. Mm. So it was that, that low self-esteem that just really bothered me. And that's, that's when it clicked about money don't mean crap. Yeah. Sometimes it's sometimes one of the worst things that can happen to people is they get what they, what they think that they want <laughs> Yeah, and then they get it and they realize, oh, this is not what it's, what I thought it would be. And then where do you go from there? Yeah, um, I think, you know, even I remember when stock dropped and, you know, even recently back in the, um, like around 2007, 2010, when real estate just yeah. plummeted and everything. I was I was one of the people who lost my house over that crap. And um, you just, people were worse than me. And I, I remember another close friend of mine, Stan Efferding, who's, you know, extremely, I don't know if you heard of him or not. Oh yeah, we know him. So not yeah, only, yeah, so not only financially strong he is, uh, intelligent because he went to college for everything. Um, he was just so sane, and he goes, "Yeah, I remember when that happened. You know, I lost a, uh, I lost a, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was a, it was multiple millions overnight. I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I'm, I'm thinking he said something like fifty or a hundred million overnight. Ooh. Wow. And I'm like, what did you do? And they're like, I got up, went to work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Well, I, I worked to get it. I got my bat, I asked back in gear, and I went back and I worked and I'm like but you remember you had these other people who were multi-millionaires and billionaires killing themselves <clears throat> so right it doesn't make you happy and I, I've never been to that status of money or whatever but it's never made me happy I mean it made me worse because then I can go out and buy the things that poured into this big black hole you know that just nothing ever filled and it's a huge void it just sucks everything up mm. that you throw into it yeah. and when you throw these things into it whatever it is you only get a realization that you're worse because that didn't work. That didn't work. She didn't work. You know, that car didn't work, you know, whatever. I remember, um, and it's highly embarrassing, but, you know, I, I had a I had a seven-story house in Venice and my way of, um, <clears throat> my way of seducing women was having to go through my house. So the first level is where I pull into my car uh, and then you see my cars. So, uh, and then you walk through the door and it's the first level and, you know, these paintings or whatever. And you, you go up the next stair and there's bedrooms and bathrooms. You go up the next. So it's seven levels. So my, my this is really embarrassing, but my my seventh, my sixth level, the seventh level house is my bedroom. So as you go through and you see all these things, it never went past my sixth level of my house, you know. And that was my way because I didn't feel comfortable who I am. And I remember sometimes if I was honest with a girl, they'd be like, what? what's wrong? Look at you. Look what you do. How could you? I'm like, I don't see those things. I don't identify mm-hmm. to none of that thing. None of those things. So, um, 
It's crazy, man. Growing up and, and, and watching you in, in, in the magazines and, and competing and all that, would have never known you were this deep of an individual. I would have never known uh, any of this stuff. And uh, you know, you wrote a book yeah. talking about a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this stuff. Yeah. And um, I've, I've been often, because like tenfold that's happened since the book, and people are like, write another one. I'm like, I'm not sure if I can handle that, you know, right? Because it was really rough to write that book. I even remember my ghost writer, who was like a very successful writer in New York. She would have to take breaks. She's like, you know what? I, I'll call you in a couple of weeks. Too she just could, Yeah, she just. So, but you know what? Um, that's what I meant by this alter ego that I can uh, created. I, I I found out at a young age that when people find out whatever your weakness is, where with your scared person or intimidated person or whatever, they're going to use it against you. So I remember being on stage and understanding that. So I was terrified every time I went on stage, even if I knew I was competing against guys I just beat the next week. That don't mean shit. They can beat you this week. I'd be terrified. So, and being terrified, I would actually project this different image that was never me, but it worked. So, if I was on stage and I was standing next to a guy, I'd tap him on his shoulder and maybe show my legs, like put my arm around him and mm-hmm. show him. So, I'm, it, it probably looks like I'm being arrogant, like my legs are bigger than yours. But my analogy was if I put my arm around him, I just took your attention off of me and put it on him, mm-hmm. right? And if I'm shaking my legs and then I point at yours, my attention just switched. That's what I'm thinking I'm doing because that's how uncomfortable I am about it. But I just knew that I had to put off this different era about myself because if people understood that I was a clear person, then they're going to look at me like, what's wrong? And they'd steer into you deeper. You know, let me give you an analogy. It's like you walk into this house and the house is extremely clean, but it smells like shit. You're going to sit there and just dig for it. (laughs) What is if you walk into a house and it's, it's mediocre clean and it just smells brilliant, you're going to sit down and relax. Mm-hmm. So that's my understanding on stage. If I'm on stage and I'm like, people are like, the fuck's wrong? No matter what I look like, if I stand up there, I look brilliant. Like I own a place, like give me a once over, like, all right, what everybody else looks like. That's just the way we are as people. Mm. And that's what I figured out. And wildly as it sounds, I mean, just being as, as, you know, unaware that I was doing it. That's what was going on. That's what I was trying to project. Let's see. Let's, let's talk about bodybuilding for a second. We're going to change gears a little bit. And you know, the nineties today, uh, is now considered by bodybuilding, uh, fans as one of the greatest decades of bodybuilding. You know, they they talk about the golden era being the seventies, but the bodybuilders of the nineties, they talk about them being just the, the conditioning, the size, the competition. Um, it was super intense. Um, Let's talk about that for a second. What was that like? What, how did you get into bodybuilding? And then what was that like? Because you came out the gates and just won everything that you touched right out the gates. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that happened. I mean, that's nothing of mine doing. That's the man upstairs. Were so, you training with Charles Glass at the time? Or I was, was training after? with Charles Glass at the time and Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, Rico and sometimes Chris Cormier, uh, my first person. Actually, yeah, I was training with Charles Glass, Rico, and uh, and Chris Cormier um, as an amateur going into that show and then turning pro. So, I I, I don't know, man. I, I I I I have no idea how that happened. I train hard like other people. I I just that was just a gift that the man upstairs gave me, and you know I trained and put some you know a lot of effort into it, and I was blessed to do it. But my key word is I was blessed to do it. You know that's just. That's like Usain Bolt's. Come on, that guy. I mean, well, I have a, I have a pretty good guess though. I think that someone like you has found found a way, whether you subconsciously did it or not, but found a way to channel all the shit that you dealt with growing up, and you 
found a way to isolate yourself and just one. And I have a very similar thing. I've learned to apply that to like my, my work ethic at work and mm-hmm. business. I've been mm-hmm. able to, no matter how dark or bad it is outside, you know, the darker it becomes. Actually, the the better I would be. Yeah. At business, and yeah. you strike me as somebody like that. Yeah, that's a perfect example because I, I always try to create my world as this harsh world environment mentally, but I could sip, do into this world and create and go through all kind of hell. I could train my ass off. I can diet, and I created this outer world where this is normal to be unhappy, eating this crap food, going into gym, training every day. This is effing normal. Those people out there don't get it. They're effing wickles. I mean, they're going to the movies and, and eating ice cream. They're effed up. They're backwards. So I had to reverse everything. But I was very comfortable in that world, and I knew I did my best um, at doing that. And, you know, I, you're, you're, you're right by saying you can single out and then just home in. I mean, that came from my martial arts. It's, a, it's an individual sport. And I think most every sports are individual and together you make it a bigger or team effort. But, you know, you know, it's I was able to go through that. And I always identified that these harsh environments like hey, I'm, I'm used to this. And I even used to steal this saying from this greater athlete. I'm built for this, you know, and I was a great, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys know who that was. But um, damn, I just thought I forgot his name, but um, graduated UCLA football player. Oh, baseball player. Sorry. Baseball player. Uh, back when it was uh, racial to be, he was the first great baseball player. Um, what's his name? I'm blowing it. For yeah, you, well, no, you're, you're. I should know this often. I can't, and it's at the tip of my tongue right now. And you know, I, I didn't know it, but he graduated from UCLA, played football, and ran track. But um, he was a um, baseball player. They just did a great movie about him a few years ago. Um, yes, I, and that's why it's at the tip of my tongue right now. It's uh, what's it? If, 54 or was yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah it's at the tip yeah, of my tongue yeah, right yeah, now, bro. I'm sorry. I'm the sports guy, too. That should be, that should we're both out. embarrassed. Jackie. Jackie Robinson. Yes. Yeah. There you go. And I was just saying, I'm built for this. You know, he endured all of this for a bigger reason, and mm. I'm nowhere near like him or his mentor, but the things that I went through, like, yeah, I went through worse. Now, now yeah. you were a skinny kid. You have a you don't have a massive bone structure, but you yeah. have a very interesting and very advantageous uh, shape to your muscles and your body. When you first started working out, did your body just, because you said you were 98 pounds when you, when you yeah. graduated high school. Yeah. When you started lifting weights, did your body just respond? Did you build muscle easily? I guess so, but not not knowing it. And I remember, you know, at the local gym that I went to that they allowed me to train there, the bigger and older guys would be like, geez, you come in here and you just breathe the weight and you grow. Oh, but yeah. I, I didn't see that. I mean, you know, you don't see yourself growing like that. It's that old you know, effect, you take a, a, a mouse and you put it in hot water, or a frog, you put it in hot water, it drumps out. You put them in cold water and slowly turns it up and it just sits Cooks. in both. So you don't, you don't see that changing over every day. And you're looking at these greater people, but I remember these always joke you know, like that, you know, you just come in here and just walk around and you grow. Were they recognizing the, the talent right out the gates? Yeah, the talent and even more so um, the genetics. And I, in my ignorance, you know, as, again, as embarrassing it is to say, I remember them saying, you know, when I was a teenager, wow, you got great genetics. And I look, I'm like, is that, is that like calling me black? What, what do you mean? <laughs> I just, like, what does you, know, that extreme, mean? <laughs> you know, extremely embarrassing, but I didn't know what it meant. I'm like, are you, are you disrespecting me? I mean, I, I almost just, like taking away from your work ethic. Yeah. Almost. So, um, I, I just looked at it as, as a slur because unfortunately in that same environment, I would always hear like, wow, Flex, you're great, man. You know, too bad you're black or else you'd be great one day. And, and again, because it was my environment that I came from. I was like, man, I guess nothing I can do about that. Mm. Cause I was so, you know, just not 
really honest, but just ignorant about the whole situation. And I didn't get upset. I was just like, geez, can't do nothing about it. You know, like I wish I could, you know, so it was that same environment. So I just was taken it there just being, you know, saying something derogatory again. Well, and in, in the nineties you had, it was an interesting era because you had on the one hand, you had the very aesthetic type of bodybuilders uh, like you, I could place Sean Ray in that mm. category. And then you had uh, the mass monsters. It was really the the, the yeah. birth of the massive. Yeah. You know, there was that that era when Dorian Yates Dorian, took second yeah. to Lee. Yeah, came back like twenty pounds heavier. Yeah, um, and then you had Nasser and and all those guys. And so it was that. It was always that 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 conversation. Is it the aesthetic? Is it the symmetry and balance? Apples, is oranges. It, yeah. Is it the size? Yeah. What was it like competing against Dorian? And in particular, I want to ask you, how did you feel when Dorian? Because Dorian. You know, I'm not gonna lie, was very dominant yeah. early on. Yeah. Then he tore his bicep, and he still, <laughs> and he would win these competitions. Perfect and, score still. <laughs> and with the perfect score, there's no symmetry there. Yeah. One arm, one arm, and no, no, but you know, not knocking the guy. Dorian no, is one of my. It favorites. is what it is. It is what it How is. How did you feel at the time when you were competing and you're seeing this? Did you feel like okay, they're just this is just uh, po- politics? <sighs> you know, I um, it angered all of us because at the beginning. I was just happy to be there. I, I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I I didn't come from a gym with magazines and all this. I, I didn't know crap. I, I didn't know you can even make money. I didn't turn in pro. Okay, so what? I, I didn't know anything. Oh, so wow. when I won the Arnold Classic, you know, and, you know, my my second pro show, uh, my second win, I didn't freaking know what was going on. You know, I won the Ironman before competing against um, the great Lee Labrada. And oh, Victor yeah. And, and um, Vince One Taylor. Oh, man, that's no, actually, right. No, I'm sorry. It was Vince Taylor. Um, That's right. You beat Vince Taylor as a rookie, which Vince is one of the greatest. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't know what was going on. I thought, okay, this uh, this Ironman, it's a lower caliber show than next weekend, which is the Arnold Classic. He's a seasoned veteran. Veteran. He just, you know, kind of just effed this one off. He's going to come in and just wipe me, you know. So next weekend it was Lee Labrada and him. So I'm like, I'm about to get my ASS tour apart. I go plus, you know my analogy because I messed up. I'm like, they made a mistake. They're going to figure it out this time. I'm probably get last. They're going to figure out I'm a wanker. I'm a, you know, I'm not really who I am or anything like that. And I ended up winning against both of those guys. And I'm embarrassed on stage that I beat these two You're guys. You're kidding like, me. So you um, looked insane on that show too. I mean, just absolutely. It's crazy the way you, you, you viewed yourself at that yeah. time. You know, I bet nobody else would think that. I bet probably no. people thought you were cocky, if anything. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Because again, I, I guess, you know, most uh, introverts, they're extroverts on stage or in public you yeah. know, because they're trying to hide that. You yeah. know, I get it. I know. You know, they said that about Michael Jackson and other great entertainers like that. But when they get out there, you can't imagine that they're, you know, uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in public, period. I'm Mm -hmm. uncomfortable in my skin. No matter where I am, I'm uncomfortable. So being on stage in my chonies in front of the world, it's just like... (laughs) As as uncomfortable as it gets. (laughs) Yeah, uh, against other guys that I admired. So I just didn't see that. I guess you can almost relate it to the, you know, the beautiful girl in high school who just thinks she's an ugly duckling. And she acts that way. You know, um, but no, I, 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 I didn't. Only later did I start kind of getting more aware of who I am and my arrogance started becoming even worse and I was my own worst enemy. But, you know, competing against Dorian my first time, it was my it was my first Mr. Olympia and my fourth pro show. It was different because everybody else had competed against. I felt okay on stage within myself. I'm, I'm uncomfortable and everything, but I didn't feel them. Right. I didn't I didn't feel them next to me. So my first time competing against Dorian, I remember thinking, geez, I can feel this guy's presence next to me. I mean, that's so much space he's taking up next to me. 
Um, and that's all I thought about it. I didn't think I was going to win or anything like that. I, I know after the show was the first and only time I met the great Serge Olivia. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and it was just like, I mean, I'm, I was like shaking in my boots, you know, and he, we're going into the hotel together and he opens the door for me. He goes, you won that show. And I'm like, thank you. You know, but I'm like, in my mind, I'm just happy to be there. Did you notice I got second? You know, <laughs> but now I see what he's saying because of the matchup and the way the sport was at his time, which should have happened. I, I can get that now. So as as Dorian started having um, injuries, which it happens, you know, I mean, if you run hard all day long, you know, it's just like in a fight. If you got to gauge yourself, don't throw everything, you know, the first time, you know, you got to gauge it sometimes fast, sometimes slow. Um, but his analogy was go hard all the time, heavy as possible, most intense as possible. So you run into injury. So he was winning with a perfect score. And I was a little still younger than this, but Kevin LeBron and, and Sean Ray were more aware and vocal. It's like, listen, okay, if you're winning with a perfect score and you have no injuries and then you have a injury that you can see, that's not perfect anymore. And then we have another torn muscle. How is that still perfect? So as me and Kevin and, and Sean were kind of more... Um, I guess, pleasing to watch polls, you know, um, we're better expressionists of ourselves or whatever. We knew that he wasn't. So how can you beat us in posing when you're not noted to be a better poser than us? And we look at the score at the end of the day, it's five, 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 five. That's perfect. I'm like, wow. So honest for me, I just didn't say nothing. I'd always just say, hey, listen, man, you know what? I'm going for second. I'm trying to hold everybody else off. That was my way of saying, I know what's going to happen. Mm. I just can't do anything about it. And me and Dorian got along great, other than Sean Ray and Dorian and Kevin and Dorian didn't get along at all. So I didn't really want to be disrespectful for something that this man had no control over. Mm. If they're allowing things to happen, why am I going to go and shit on his parade? That's not cool. You know, I, I, that's not respectful. You know, so I would just try to take it to him on stage. I'm trying to beat him, but I understood what was going to happen. Yeah, and, every every decade in bodybuilding has that rivalry, right? Lee Haney had his uh, Lee Labrada. Yeah, yeah, two actually, Lee Labrada and uh, Rich to Itch. Yeah, what he called him, yeah, Rich Gaspari. Yeah, 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 and then you know Dorian had you, um, but there was also guys like Sean and and, and Kevin, and yeah. then later on Nasser. Yeah, and uh, among those guys, who who were your who were the guys that you always looked out for the most to compete? Like who were the ones that you were, I guess most. Um, most competitive yeah. or impetitive, yeah, impressed with. On two different levels. Personally, it was me and Sean because we knew each other um, and we would hang out with each other. I actually, you know, had the opportunity of meeting him before I turned pro and he was there talking to me when I turned pro. And so I, I in hindsight, I, I remember things he said like, oh my God, man, look, jeez, I wish I had arms like that, this, that, and other. And also now in past tense, He's done interviews where he's personally said, listen, I always knew that he was better than me. He had everything that I had. And he's like four or five inches, you know, taller and about, you know, 20 pounds heavier. I always knew I couldn't compete against that. So I'd go mentally towards him. So, but Kevin, you know, was on the other side of the lake and we would only hear about each other because it was only magazines then. So when he actually, he beat me um, the year before I turned pro. So I knew of him and he already defeated me when other people Mm -hmm. hadn't. So I'm scared of him. You know, when I went and competed against Sean for the first time as a pro, I won. So that kind of took that out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and me and Kevin had a mutual respect for each other. When we finally met each other, he was a respectful guy. We hit it off. We got along great and everything like that. So it was kind of, it was kind of a fun rivalry with him because it was never no disrespect. I remember doing an interview. You know, Kevin said something like, you know, um, I don't knock on doors. I knock them over. 
<laughs> and, and then in a, another video I did, I said, you know, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was like nice stuff like that. So yeah. it was really respectful. Like, not like, you know, you need like a piece of shit. Just, yeah. It was never that. Right. So we always got along, you know, and even though I got along with everybody on stage, regardless of where they got along with me, because I, I always understood that why, why hate an individual be mad at him? He's just trying to do the same thing you are. He's right. trying to feed his family and make a living. So why, why do that? And, and if you don't get the place and you feel you deserve, don't cuss him out or disrespect him. If you're really a man, go talk to the judges. You pick him for, right. you know, if you really want to be real, but you're not going to do that because you don't want to mess him up. So I think that's a punk. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a real point. Yeah. A, a real champion is trying to win. And I, I want to beat the best guy in his best condition. So there's no excuse. Um, I just never got that. And I know a lot of people looked at me like that and was angry i just never like really hmm. so when you talk about that person you're really showing your weakness that's like me and you trying to hit on the same girl right so you know and, and i'll talking use shit about yeah you, and right? i'll use me as a bad person i'm talking shit about you and she's like spit your own game it's yeah. like you you identifying your weakness you're making it worse so i just didn't get that about people i didn't get it i didn't hmm. get it was it common was it common to see beefs was it were, oh, um what were some of the most common beefs and, and hate hate going back and forth between some of the competitors? Well, Sean, I think Sean Sean kind of rubbed a lot of people yeah. the wrong way, right? He was <laughs> at least that's what I used to read uh, about him. Yeah. He's he's just that type of guy. He's vocal, I mean, yeah. Well, being vocal don't mean you're right. You know, just being you have a big mouth. I mean, everybody have a you know an ASS. You know, it doesn't mean that yours is cleaner than somebody else's. <laughs> but um, he was that type of guy. Um, he admitted that you know he thought that I had. Um, how did he put it? Mental weaknesses. Oh, that so that's why he picked on me mentally because he knew he couldn't defeat me physically. And that's psychological warfare. Yeah, it, which I get. It is. It is a warfare. But later on, after you warm, uh, read my book, he's like, I had no idea that you've been through all that. I would have never f with you oh, because wow. I wrote in my book how mad I was, you know, and I knew that we we're a great friend, so I, I wrote that. I was going to knock on his door one late night, one, uh, one late night, and I knew he would open it because we we're friends, and I was going to lock the door and just beat his ass <laughs> for hours. So this is how effed up I am. And I, I wrote it in my book. I'm just going to beat his ass for hours. Stop, have a drink, eat, you know, rest, and just commence to whooping his ass again. Lock the door and go home. No one's going to know. There's no video cameras in. There's no yeah. cell phones. Yeah. It's going to be his word against mine. Right. That's how messed up. So when you read the book, he said, I, ne I never knew that you had issues like that. I would have never picked on that because I'm like, yeah, bro. I mean, we're from different neighborhoods. What you might say to one guy don't mean anything, but you even look at it. We know it. You come from the wrong neighborhood. Just looking at a guy, you're a fight. Right. What right. are you looking at? What are you looking at? Yeah. What's up? What's up with you? We're walking towards each other, and you're making it happen. Another guy, you look at him like, hi. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's different. But um, Sean was the most vocal, um, but that was just his way of trying to combat his weaknesses in, in actuality. Um did I'm, guys ever like get into it behind in the pump up room? I wanted all? to I mean, hurt him. I tried to hurt him a couple of times. I was stopped. Um, nobody else um, really got in fights. I think um, back then he got knocked out once by another amateur. Um, he was oh, just, shit. He was yeah. just being disrespectful. And uh, he took this guy's bench. And this guy was a trainer. And he was an amateur. And Sean was getting ready for Olympia. And he took the guy's bench. He was great. And his nickname now is The Hammer. You know, so we called him The Hammer after that. But, um, <laughs> He took his bench and Greg approached and like, hey, man, I'm using, what are you talking about? I'm getting ready for Olympia. You know? <laughs> that was it. So you can't just mouth off to everybody yeah, like right. that. You know what I mean? But that was just him. He was just that type of guy. He's extremely vocal. I mean, on the other side of it, I respect him tremendous as an athlete. I mean, look what he did at his age. You know, he was my color, you know, going up again. He was a smaller guy. So I'm like, 
I looked up to him and I actually learned how to pose from him. I would take his videos when I was an amateur and I would watch his video and then emulate and have my friend video court mm-hmm. me trying to do identically the same thing. So in other ways, I had tremendous respect for him. I just didn't believe that you had to be disrespectful to go hard at a guy yeah. because you might be crossing that line where we say you got to stay in your own lane. You know, mm-hmm. you might get bent up. Your, 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 your martial arts flexibility came in handy with your posing with some of your, your posing routines. Yeah. Quite, quite unique. You got a lot of attention. Yeah. I, you know what? I just, um, for me, that was, I mean, doing the splits on stage while yeah. hitting a, you know, back. I didn't even know. You know what? That was, that was, that was crazy. Cause you were people, the first to do that. No, right? I actually, I gotta be honest. I wasn't Phil Hill. Professor yeah. Phil Hill was the first to do the right. splits. Phil wasn't Phil Hill a stripper back in the day? Was that I, Phil Hill or was that someone else? Um, I don't know if it was him. I know it was a couple other bodies. Yeah. I'm aware <laughs> that it was a few. But I don't know about Phil. But I met Phil when I was an amateur. He came in guest pose in Fresno, and if you know anything about him, he has a, probably the biggest quads in just the history of the sport. And oh, I remember that's he right. I'm walk, thinking like, the wrong guy. That's right. That's yeah, right. and I um and I remember his friend. You know, I was just looking at him, just like you know, just young little kid. I think I was like maybe 16 years old. And the friends go, say hi to one. I'm like terrified, shaking. He goes, hey, man, how you doing? He's just super nice. He goes, we're talking. And my my, my um, closest friend, my martial artist, you know, uh, uh, instructor and mentor, you know, Ty McGuire is with me. He goes, why don't you guys come out and have you know, lunch with us? I'm like, so we're talking. And he's like, so you compete, huh? He goes, so you guys. So we're talking. Somehow we got into the splits, you know, because he did it on stage. And I'm like, how did, you, how did you do that? He goes, can you do it? I'm like, yeah. Because you ought to try it. I'm like, who cares if I do it? He goes, try it. And I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, and one time I was on stage, I, you know, I was going into my my routine, and I just spun, and my legs started open. I just went into the splits, and the crowd went crazy. I'm like, but I'm a martial artist. Who gives a damn? Everybody yeah. can do the splits. I just didn't think of it like that. But everybody can't do the splits. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my world, to, yeah, yeah, in my yeah. world of martial arts, everybody can do the That's splits true. and more. But That's true. I just um, posing was it was my way of trying to. <clears throat> Um, communicate with the crowd. Mm-hmm. I, I always pick music for a certain reason. I would always come off with you know very slow music because I understand when slow music comes on, people pay attention. They're quiet. It's respectful, right? When when rival music or hard car you know hard music or whatever is on, people are amp, right? They're up. So I always pick slow music because that was my way of saying you know shut up, sit, sit down, and listen. I want to display something, mm. but I got it just like a movie. You can't have a slow movie the whole time. You got to bring them out hyped or else they're going to walk away, you know, disinspired. So the last 30 seconds, I would always switch over to hardcore music or something amped up or whatever the, the hardest, you know, rap was back then. Cause I wanted to people go away amp, and that was just my way of just awesome. signing. Yeah. Awesome. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you something that, so I competed, right? So I was, I'm a pro men's physique athlete Copy that, and man. I was told before I got into it, that oh politics this politics that right and uh-huh. what my, isn't politics in right just tell me that and, just name one and thing. everything That's right and everything yeah. I and mean it, even a husband and wife what is it I mean there's politicking going on right which is why I didn't it didn't scare me away in Copy fact it out. only motivated me more to like right. prove to everybody watch me do this all by myself with no coach or no team mm-hmm. now my first experience with it uh, of feeling it was uh, my first first place win my first first place win was in Sacramento and in Sacramento I didn't know any of this at the time but I take first place and then I'm going for the overall and when I walked up to get win the overall and I'm, I'm a very uh, objective person so if I see another guy that I think and I'm sure yeah, you're the same way yeah. that's got a better physique yeah. it's like respect yeah, yeah for sure right right and I'm I'm getting ready to walk up against for these two guys overall wise and it's it's not even close I should be I'm going to walk away with this sword and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it right and uh, I don't and I'm like, what the fuck? I have no idea. And then I get everybody coming up to me afterwards and they go like, 
you know, you know who the two athletes that you were going against, mm. who they are, right? I'm like, mm. no, they're amateurs or nobody I know, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, they both are Jeremy Buendia and Hani Ramrod's uh, <laughs> athletes. <laughs> this is their FBF athletes. This is a Sacramento show. Hani is the number one sponsor for this show. Yeah. And so I got my first taste of, oh, this is how that works. Yeah. Did you have a lot of this? Did you see a lot of this? And can you explain to people exactly that yeah it happens and like we just clarify what doesn't it happen in whether you know it or not what doesn't it happen in somebody else getting a raise um and you should have or mm-hmm. you know um, even in police officer my my friend you know always deserved to be a detective but he never did because you know everybody didn't like him as much and finally he got it so let's be clear it happens in all aspects of life um this is no different sorry our sport is no different than that um i i didn't really have it happen to me as an amateur I, I i don't know why i just flew under the radar um when i got to a pro i ran into it and it was it was it's it's documented now i remember a great writer peter mcguff um you know wrote about me and kevin competing and i always wonder why why does kevin you know combat me so well because i didn't really think he was the the my worst adversary physique wise but it would be a lot of shows that he would win that I would be competing. I'm like, wow, wow. So we used to say, hey, he's one of those East Coast guys. All the judges from the East Coast, you know, mm-hmm. they get more love. And we're over here on the West Coast and, you know, we don't get that much love. So I always felt that way. Um, but I, I see it more prevalent now. Um, it's, yeah. Especially with social media. You, you, well, let's, let's let's talk about now. I mean, yeah. you, do you follow the sport now? I mean, Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Okay, I, I don't so. remember all the names. And, and, and honestly, it's just... Is different now. I, I know what 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 um, Lila brought it because I remember him telling me when I was still competing. I don't even go to shows no more. I go, yeah. why? And he goes, you know, if you're competing, I'll come to see you. But I just is different. It is, you know. So they're disenchanted. You know, I remember even you know you would know who the USA champion was. I don't, I don't even know who won no. for the last ten years, and no one does. And even a champion, no disrespect to no, it's just facts. I mean, it's just my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. You ask me a question, it's my opinion. Let's clear that. But that champion would go on to do something very quickly. You got guys now who turn pro and they don't even do well as a pro. That means you're probably not meant to be up there with them yet. You're not pro quality yet. So, Well, uh, back in the 90s, the, the and I've heard this argument all the time, but I, I was a fan and I compare them all the time. And I see in the 90s, you guys had, there was a lot of size, but there was insane levels of conditioning yeah and it doesn't seem like the guys today although they're massive and they got the big old bubbly muscles and all that stuff they don't seem to hit the same level of conditioning that the guys in the 90s did yeah is there a difference in was it the was it the diuretic use was it that they some people got you know because you had paul delette cramp sure. up on stage yeah and you a had, good friend he was my roommate for you, a while you yeah. had uh what's his name uh andreas munzer pass yeah. away and he andreas, was just actually andreas munzer was from because um, I, I competed with him, it was from it was from a drug that helps us cytomel. Cytomel, yeah. yeah. So that's why, yeah. So it's not really a diuretic. What its its side effect is is that it stops you from um, your your blood from thickening when you're bleeding. And so, you just bled out exactly when yeah. he got on a, the uh, operating table because he had a problem before then. So when they opened it up, just like they don't want you to take aspirin mm-hmm. before surgery. So that was kind of the situation with mm-hmm. that. Once they open him up, uh, systematically things start. But you coming. had uh, what's his name? Uh, Benetziza. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he died on stage. Yeah. Were, were you guys using different different substances or more diuretics than they are now? Was it the diet? Like because you guys were 
shredded. I yeah. mean, and, and hard, very, very grainy looking. Yeah. They don't have that same quality, it seems, today. Yeah. It, what's the difference? So the, the difference is those diuretics are still out there, um, but there's better ones now. Mm. Uh, technology's, come on, you're talking 20, 30 years. Yeah, Technology right. is better. So I think the problem is, is that just the homework wasn't put into it. Uh, you, and I can relate this to every sport. You got a guy who, a kid wants to play base, uh, basketball. He's trying to learn the crossovers, just that and other. You don't even know the basics. They don't mm -hmm. care about the basics. We're, you know, back in our era, we respected Arnold and the people who came before us, so we understood the hard work. I use the same analogy. We, we, would, we, would, we knew that it's going to take a couple of years to get there. Talk to any kid in bodybuilding right now. Yeah, I'm going to turn pro next year. I'm going to be in Olympia. Mm -hmm. Really? But it's not just that. You look at high school players. They think they're, you know, have the respect of a pro ball and they're acting like it. So I don't think that work and respect is put down like we did. I mean, you know, it took This is what I found when I got into men's yeah. physique. I was floored by, you know, I'm so I'm very transparent about my steroid use and how I, I am used too. it. It is so, what it is. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm very open about it. Um, and one of the things that I was blown away by was, I'm at the at the men's physique level. The dosages that were still to to this day, we're blown away. I was like blown away. I mean, I, I took 250 milligrams. I peaked at 400 milligrams, and I was told when I hit stage that I was looking too much like a bodybuilder, so I had to bring the dosage down. Yeah. And then I talked to a lot of these kids that are getting in it, and they're taking grams yeah. of shit. And I'm like, to be a men's physique, yeah. what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, it, it's shocking because when when men's physique first hit, you know we were blown away with their condition. I'm talking stride it back like mine was. And I'm like, so to see so many, it's like, that's not by design. <laughs> you know, well, that is by design. That's not by genetics because they're just drying out. So they're like, wow, these guys are going to have a, a tough time in about five or six years when they, you know, it's, it's a sport old enough where problems are going to start happening. Because, well, you know, unless you're, you know, unfortunately like Muhammad or something like that, and even him, it's not his first probably time of ever cramping. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, just I, I guess they call it like a drug uh, deal, a drug uh, person who's taking drugs, chasing their high. So as they're chasing that high, they probably run into some problems, but they beat it. So they know they can go up to that limit or they're comfortable. So you keep pushing that envelope and that's what anything. But um, I'm, I'm floored that the doses that they use, because I mean, I even remember in my time, other guys saying, man, when are you going to stop taking a candy? And I'm like, candy. Mm -hmm. And it would explain what they're taking. I'm like, huh. I'm okay with the candy, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I did start going harder as I got older, but even those doses are, I mean, there's nothing compared to the guys taking yeah. down. So to answer your question, as far as the different, the differences, I think, you know, that hard work and it's, it's come on. I mean, it's hard to be a pro body. I mean, everything got 24 be on hours point. a day. It is. And everything got to be on point, not just your upper body. It got to match and this, that, and other. They got to flow. So you got to have the right matches and left. I mean, it's, it's rough and that don't happen overnight. Listen, I mean, uh, you know, a 16 year old, two 16 year olds, one have facial hair and one don't, that's just their gift. But it took you 16 years to get there. Mm. So how are you going to accelerate, you know, to becoming to this man and then a superman and then what we would jokingly say, you know, this demigod mm. within, you know, a few years. So that's rough. And it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work and dedication and perseverance. I just don't really think that's there now. And I don't think they have to go to that degree because there's other categories so that you can, you don't have to go that hard. I'm not saying that Jeremy or anyone else don't go full tilt of what they're doing, but 
it's not where we were, you know, and, I, you know, God bless them. And I'm happy that they have all these uh, physique uh, classes now because now you're, you're not forcing people to be, try to come something that they weren't. You know, you even go back to say, you know, even though I, I, I say certain things about Sean, I respect him from other Take him and, and, and put a 212 class. He would have never, 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 never lost. Mm-hmm. Sean didn't compete over 215. So imagine him back then. If there was a 212, right. he would be a 30-time Mr. Olympia. He, he's beaten some of us at times. So I think they're smarter now in having all these classes. I don't look bad at it. It's smarter now because you're not putting posi- people in positions where they have to put themselves in such harm's way. But... That's your choice if you went there because you don't have to. Like you said, really, men's physique? I mean, when it first started, you can go out and look at a beach body guy, right? Just a real pure guy who's just surfer beach. He's going to look like mint condition, right? That's what I thought it was. It was for a minute. Yeah, so so <laughs> probably your look of what they said you were being too big or looking like a bodybuilder, a better men's physique guy would wipe that look away right now. Oh, yeah, no, I mean? it's, so, it, it evolved to that. Yeah, it definitely, yeah. It, so I, when I came out, and it was funny too because I heard this, this story later on, long after, not long, but a year or two after I left uh, competing, I was talking to one of the judges. I had, a, I had an athlete, a competitor that was competing in it, had a chance to talk to him, and I walked over and said hi to him, introduced myself, and he goes, oh, I remember you. And he tells me the story of my very first show where uh, I came out in the, in the morning, and when I came out in the morning, I uh, didn't even come out first call out. Mm. And I, it was, and I came, I came with it. So I trained really hard long. I've been training for 15 years, building my body. I came in dialed and my, th- I had a lot of pro buddies and coaches. Mm-hmm. And my theory was I want to hit stage as an amateur already ready to be at the professional level. Like, I got to stop you right there. Um, that was one of my analogies. And even with my, my, my team that I work with guys now, and that's my, you want to stand on stage as an amateur and have the uh, judges look at you and like this kid don't get him out of here he's pro quality that's when you're ready to go on stage as a pro that's that's yeah. how i feel i yeah. fe- i felt like i had so that's much crazy. so much work to put in before i even get on the station and then everyone tried to tell me like oh you need to get the jitters out and you're posing and it's like i don't even want to get up there don't go up there if you're not ready yeah like, i don't want to do that right that's how i felt and so i get up there knowing that i had a dominant yeah, yeah. A dominant physique and then i don't get call out and first call outs and so I'm like, what the fuck? In the night show, they jump me to first call outs and I get placed fourth place, which those that know about competing know that if you don't finish in the top three, it doesn't qualify you for nationals. Yeah, I'm effed up. If you don't finish first, you just lost. Right. And, uh, you know, just, <laughs> so, yeah. and I'm pissed about it, but I'm like, whatever, it is what it is. And I'm, it's my first show, but I get a chance to talk to this judge and he remembers me because of the arguments behind the behind mm, scenes mm, about my physique. Mm. And he and he name drops and I promised him on radio I would never yeah, never yeah, roll yeah. the judges under under the bus. Yeah. But one hundred percent they they wanted me to come back. It was my first show. They wanted me to pay for another show and show my face yeah, again. Pay your dues. Pay my yeah, dues and they weren't yeah. gonna place me in the in the top three. They'd give me one spot out from that, even though Arguably, I probably had uh, the the number one physique out there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty it it's pretty crazy to see. And then I see I don't know if you saw recently what happened with um, Mark Bell. Mark Bell just competed. Did no, you, I didn't. Okay, so Mark okay. Bell. Just, I know who he is, though, but I didn't. I, so Mark Bell just competed. He's a longtime powerlifter guy. Mm-hmm. I know he 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 takes a, a a lot of gear. He definitely does not have a bodybuilder's physique. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hani was his coach, mm-hmm. and he took first place on his in his first show. Really, 
Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. you have to check it out. On, wow. Yeah, check it out. I was hoping you'd seen it so we could talk no, about it. Because <laughs> I, I, I know all the, uh, all the brothers, yeah. Because yeah, they're mostly all powerlifters, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know all of them. Yeah, so, yeah. wow, I yeah. didn't know that. So, you know, you see, you see a, a lot of that going. I feel like that's happening more, and that's why I was curious when you well, were... I think today, you, you, when, you, when you go to compete and you have a million followers on Instagram or you've got a huge social media following, you're, you're, you're going to get looked at more and maybe yeah. win as a result. I don't think in, in bodybuilding, um, that's not going to work because they can bat each other. Um, you might be able to make more money or have more what I call a draw, right? Mm. You know, because people ask me all, all the time, you know, how can I get a sponsorship? Well, what's your draw? What do you mean by that? Do you walk in a room and people migrate towards you? That's what people are looking toward to spin because they might court, uh, migrate towards you, then they can cross spin that over to their product. So whatever it is, you know, you, you have to have that, what we call, you know, um, um, when you walk in a room, you have presence. X factor. Yeah, yeah, or X factor. So mm-hmm. so that's not going to work um, so much because they, they really combat each other. And there's, not, there's never been, and I don't think there ever will be, a person who has an amazing say, I have some friends, you know, really, really good friend of mine. And he's just off the chain with, you know, his physique. He had competed before his Ulysses, right. You know, 5.3 million uh, followers. Right. And we had a chance to talk finally after knowing each other for almost, you know, two decades, you know, we talked and hung out, you know, in England, we were there and he just spit the whole game to me internet wise. I'm like, wow, is that indeed? Cause he says, man, it's a business, you know, you can make a business out of this, but he competed, you know, he competed at a different level. He won all the time, but it wasn't because you look at his physique. He won because of that. So his physique helped him be better as an internet personality, but it won't cross over and help you be a better athlete because it's judged differently. No one cares about how many followers you have. Let's use the example, you know, Ronnie Coleman. I think he has like maybe 2 million followers. Come on. He's the king. Ronnie yeah. will always be the king. I, I, I hope I'm alive. And hope is safe to look at the person who beats his best physique ever. I mean, I just don't foresee that. But Bro, what was that? What what was that? Talking about Ronnie, what was yeah. that like? You were supposed to win that. I remember because yeah. I was like I said, I was a big fan. Yeah, I remember I thinking, remember too. oh shit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, Dorian's, you know, he's retiring. Yeah, Flex yeah. Wheeler's gonna be Mr. Olympia. Flex, yeah. Out of nowhere, because Ronnie, I think before that was like, like tenth top, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like he was seventh, like seventh yeah. place. Yeah. Then comes Ronnie and he looked like a completely different person yeah. and he wins. What was that like to see that 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 change and then, you know, not win that? You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's the first talking about it on your show, but I got to be honest, it, we knew what was going to happen. I mean, you know, the year before that, me and Ronnie have always been super close. You know, you just, you just, some guys you just meet immediately, you guys just hit it off. Yeah. Some guys you just know, I ain't going to never like you and I don't care and I want you to know it. It's just, I don't know why. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. So me and Ronnie had always been great, great friends, you know, traveling all over the world and this, that, and other competing. And, um, you know, it's been talked about and he's acknowledged to it. He finally came to me. He's like, man, look, you know, I'm tired of getting my ass whooped. What you doing? You know, because Ronnie was always natural. That's one thing a lot of people didn't know. Ronnie turned pro and competed as a pro naturally for a long time. You know what? I used to wow. read that and that was yeah. so that's, hard to believe. That's fucking true. It's true. Well, well, I have heard that too. It's true. But you know no, you do. True. You know what happens when you take a guy like that and then fucking put him on some gear? Hence back yeah. to what I said before, putting in the hard work before yeah. you go there. Wow. So same thing with Kai Green. I yep. know Kai Green very well. He yep. was natural for a long time competing until, you know, whatever. So Ronnie came to me and I'm like, Okay, because I, I, I learned from people. So I, I never been effed up like, damn, I ain't going to tell him he might beat me one day. So we sat down and I laid the whole game work down. And next year, 
Um, he started doing well. I remember he actually beat me in the first competition ever, and we're over in Canada, and he beat me. I'm like, <laughs> but I was I was off, right? I was off, yeah. but he still, and he, you know, and it was funny because he was talking about like, like damn flex, because we're good friends, right? So he's like, damn flex, I beat you. Damn that, they must think I'm good. I beat you. So it's not like, man, I beat you. Yeah. It's my boy talking to me, right? Yeah. So I'm like, Ronnie, you're good. So the <laughs> next weekend, you know, uh, we end up competing again. And I was in um, Florida at the Pro Cup, Florida Pro Cup. And I end up winning. And then it was a big show the following weekend. And I did champion back in those days. And I'm like, fuck. And he's right on my ASS. And he's never, never, never been in a call out with me. I mean, he's been like third or fourth call out. And I've always been call out number one. So mm -hmm. I'm like, huh. You know, and then, you know, I, I beat him in that show. And then the following year, I, I watched his physique change. We were working at the same, with, working with the same uh, um, person for our diets and, you know, Chad Nichols. And Chad had actually told me, he goes, wow, Ronnie, Ronnie can't handle your diet. I go, what do you mean? He goes, because I go zero carbs for a long time. I, I mm -hmm. can just do that. I don't go into what they call... Um, um, ketosis or yeah uh, no um it's really dangerous um hypoglycemic oh right when right. you don't have enough carbs I, I can just handle it for whatever reason he goes yeah i dropped ronnie down to like 200 you know grams of carbs and he almost passed out he goes Mashad, i can't do this shit so <laughs> this you know so his low was like five six hundred i'm like everybody's different right yeah. but i just watched him change and chad would send me pictures of ronnie getting ready you know and i'm like god dang we still think well you're gonna beat him because you're shaved just that and the other but i'm like Phew. so I remember being on stage, 1998, and you know I was in the first call out. I think Ronnie was in the third call out. We never even met each other on stage, but I remember watching him and standing behind him, like, God dang! And I, you know, here he is doing a crab pose, and his back is striated from top to bottom, his glutes. And I'm thinking to myself, What are they missing with him? You know, he looks better than I do. I, I'm like, Fuck! I hope they don't catch up and fight, figure this out, right? So. You know, whatever happened. So you knew it was coming. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's been talked about before. And I, I, I got to be honest, regardless who I upset or not. I mean, it's it's noted. But um, I had um, got I signed with another company 15 days before that Olympia. So I left the Weeder organization and um, I joined this company called Biochem. And me and, me and Ronnie took a right back. We took a right back because we had to do our little pictures after the mm -hmm. pre-judge and we took a right back. He's like, wow, man, you know, Joe Weeder, you know, sat down and talked to me. I'm like, cool, man. You know, big deal. He goes, Flex, I've been a pro longer than you. Joe Weeder, I never even said my name. I'm like, well, shit, he should. Look at you, Ronnie. So I'm like, you know, so he goes, well, he, he offered me a contract. I'm like, take it, dude, take it. So we actually end up taking a taxi back to preach i mean to the final show it's like man i signed i signed with joe weed i'm like hell yeah good for you ronnie so mm, wow so like i said he wasn't he was in call out three and i was in call out one so if you look at the score it's i have five five and his has got to be like a, a seven or a nine or something like that so mathematically it was weird because the next two rounds were supposed to be it's no one who can beat me at that time and i was posing because I was a great poser, and Ronnie's not really noted as a great poser. And then pose down, which is just the the presence you create. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of I was kind of pretty good at that. So, but he perfect scored me in those, and ended up winning by two points. And I was like, wow. So uh, just after he signed the contract, yeah. yeah. So. Um, that was interesting. <clears throat> you know, well, that yeah. would have been a great example of that politics shit I was talking to you about. Just <laughs> <laughs> I 
But <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, I tell you, I tell you what, though, you you, you, you lost to the to. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, and then you went so, went on to win. Yeah, and eight. dominate. So my, I wasn't mad at that, um, and I knew I effed off that show. I mm. I knew I did. I knew I could look better. I mean, I used to dress in great Michael Jordan, you know, training gear, so that I can go to the strip club right after training hard, so I could still look <laughs> decent. I just I wasn't there. I, I had that mentality that I could never be number one. Hey, listen, if you show up at the Arnold or the Ironman or anything else, I'm going to hand you your ass. But dude, I was just had a mental block about mm-hmm. the Olympia. I just never perceived. I, I, I didn't accept myself as number one. So he won that show and he deserved to, you know, the next year I came in actually um, 15 pounds heavier. That's, so that's pretty hard to do at, when you're in your prime to come in 15 pounds heavier and in better shape. And for whatever reason, he kind of missed his peak. You know, he wasn't there. So back then we were really close with each other. Whether I wanted to beat you or not, or that other person, we were close. We talked, we hung out, and we traveled the world together. It's not like now. So immediately when we take off our clothes backstage, we know what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. when we have a look at you, like, yeah, as soon as you take your clothes off, we already know, you know, who's the challenge, who's not. So, you know, I got undressed, we're working out, and, and Ronnie finally get undressed. and like, oh, my God, you got him. So everybody's running out to me back. You got him. You got his ass. I'm like, I got him, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I go off on stage and, you know, big story is he perfect scores me. So I'm like, huh. So that's the year that I took off my medallions oh, on stage. Right. So, but it hit me. It hit me. It, it finally dawned on me like, okay, um, I'm better than that. So my, my thing was I took off these medallions because I'm sure you've seen it at a show before where a person's rewarded first and another person rewarded second. Oh, we made a mistake. But meanwhile, the person who took second He's pissed. Mm-hmm. And a person won. It's like, oh, we made a mistake. Number one goes to two. Number two goes to one. Now, all of a sudden, their atmosphere changes. The guy who thought he won, now he's pissed. Mm-hmm. The guy who thought he's lost, he feels like a champ. Why? Because they're medallion? Because of what they put around your neck? Because of what they said? Right, right. So it all came to me right then. I'm like, I'm not number two. This, this represents number two. I'm not number two. I'm number one. You're not going to make me feel like I'm number two. So that's all it was. And then I went to Ronnie and everybody's like, what did you say to him when you kneeled down? I'm like, man, I love you. Congratulations. And I jokingly said, you know, I'm not going to be at your after party, right? Because why? Why would I go? I'm pissed. I'm hurt. Why would I go and my best friend just went to Miss Olympia and I'm going to go there and soak and look around and make him feel uncomfortable? Sure, right. Take your ass home. Yeah. You know, so I went back to the hotel with my people and we ate pizza, you know, so I can be <laughs> myself. So, but um, I just realized that, but it helped me because if I would have, if he would have won by one point or two points again, I'm like, I can chase that down. Mm. I can go harder. But by him winning by a perfect score, like, ah, oh, okay, he's out of reach now. It's just, it is what it is. So what my job is now is to hold everybody off a of second place instead of chasing it. So, you know, just reality came to me. Now, now pro bodybuilding for for a long time has been, uh, you know, obviously very competitive, but also a sport where people attribute a lot of the success of the athletes to things like anabolic steroids and insulin and growth hormone and all that stuff. Right. Let's get it, into it. It wasn't, well, <laughs> about to I mean, blow your water. Well, well, let's get into well, it. Well, you man. already did talking about Ronnie Coleman fucking being natural and Kai being that natural. That blew my cause, mind. Because yeah. I know that's been a rumor for a long time. Yeah, not see, a rumor. but that's fucking, and, I, and we, and we talk on our show a lot about that, that, you know, people, they look at these competitors and, and they think it's just the drugs. It's like, you no. have no idea oh, the man, genetics I, and the yeah. hard work that those people yeah. have to put so, in. So, Ronnie, everything, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open on a pro level. I don't talk to amateurs about it and I don't talk just to anyone about it because I'm on, I understand that what I, my words have power. And if I say certain things of what I've done, 
every kid's going to run off and take that thing yeah. and they're going to be in the next. So I can't do that. Sure. But on a pro level, I'm very honest with anyone who asks me. So there's many pros who are competing now and retired. I told the exact same thing. Why is it that Ronnie had changed his whole metamorphosis? He's just that guy. He had that inside him and it was just waiting to explode. Mm-hmm. That was his gift. Nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, my brother, Robert, you know, he competed as natural all his whole life. And he's always told me, you know, and, and here I am, Flex Wheeler. So he knows I know everything. He's never asked me. He goes, I want to stay natural. I'm like, stay natural, man. Good for you. Everybody who looks at him think like, come on, dog. You know he's on something, man. He's your brother. You know you're giving him the best. He's natural. And, and you look at his physique. I'll, I'll give you guys his Instagram later. He's natural. It's guys who just have that gift. Uh, it, it is what it is. Oh, man, I've known guys. I, I've, I've run gyms for more than half my life, and I've known guys to take <laughs> – a gram or more of testosterone a week who don't look like shit literally like you yeah. could lo- you look at them and they yeah. don't look like yeah. almost anything at all yeah and then i know guys that there was this one guy used to work for me i talked to him i talk about him all the time on the show he was a he was a porter so he cleaned the he cleaned the bathrooms and stuff mm-hmm. and this dude didn't have much money mm-hmm. he would eat a pop tart for breakfast and a cheeseburger like for lunch <laughs> and he'd like go do brother. skull crushers with two four two twenty five yeah. and like brother, you know man. 19 inch arms yeah <laughs> and i was just like that's insane but something happened in bodybuilding must be something in pop tarts i'm serious <laughs> it gotta be Maybe. but then something else happened in bodybuilding where for a long time it was substances that made you build muscle, mm-hmm. you know, testosterone, their derivatives, growth hormone, insulin. And then all of a sudden people started injecting an oil that did nothing but make you Synthol, look bigger. Right. Synthol. Yeah. Did, did that start happening in the in the 90s? There was a lot of speculation that guys like, I think it was Ernie Taylor and other people were using them because their arms look so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that when that started to enter the scene a little bit? Yeah, I think it was. I think, well, my awareness came in the 90s. So it doesn't mean that it wasn't in the 80s, but I, I wasn't in the 80s, so mm. I can't even claim. I mean, you know, Arnold and everybody else, even though Arnold admits that he's took things, could you ask me? I wasn't there. I wasn't in his era, so I, I don't know yeah. that, right? So I was in the 90s. I'm aware that's when I first uh, heard of it. But before then... It was a better one called Encycline that did everything even better. You didn't get the bloat or anything like that. That's the one you inject and it makes you swollen from it. Yeah, yeah, but all the psoriasis and stays. So it was one before that. And I was aware of that one also. I remember reading about that. Uh, but Kevin Lavrone bought the entire stock out. <laughs> no, no, no lie, he did. <laughs> he did. He bought I, the entire stock out of it. Yeah, I, I, I read imagine it. how much expensive that was. And I read, yeah. and you had to do it like right before you yeah. went on stage, right? Yeah. So like backstage, yeah. you're just like a yeah. hundred yeah. shots up and down your body yeah. to make it. So, look- so yeah, um, um, Synthrol, and I think it had a whole bunch of other names came to play. And um, a lot of us use it. I'm very open that I use it back. And then I want to try it and see what happened and everything. Um, Do you think it helped your physique or hindered your no, physique? No, I think it hindered back now. I, even my athletes now who want to, I tell them, hey, listen, you got to go get somebody else then because I can't be your guy. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm not there. I just, I don't believe in insulin. I don't believe in doing anything or having a person take anything that if you mess up just a little, you die. Right. So insulin is one of those things. Mess up just a little. You can have the greatest surgeons right around you. You're dying. Mm-hmm. Systematically, things are going to fail. Uh, diuretics is next in line, but you can control that. Just don't. Just be smart. But you got to understand this. If me and him go to the, you know, to the club, and you know, he's like, he's more of a drinker. I'm not like, all right, we're going to start with this. We're going to start with that. And you know, his third one, he feels great. My third one, my second one, my blood alcohol, and I'm about to pass out. Mm-hmm. Everyone is different. So don't take something just because somebody else did. But um, so. The whole, um, the whole, uh, what is it, uh, synthral thing, mm-hmm. 
that I think it was a bad thing for the sport, but because it's not muscle, and you well, see, some see guys, that's, that's the argument. I'm glad yeah. you said that. So my thing is, is you know, people like, oh, you took synthol. I'm like, huh, okay, wow. So what's the difference with steroids, quote unquote? Because if you use the word steroids, it's pretty primitive. My son, when he was a kid, you know, when he was a little boy, he was on steroids because he had asthma. So yeah. I can cholesterol I can is an, a steroid. Yeah, so I can be an ass and talk steroids. So that's why I use the word sports technology, uh, sports technology drugs because mm. it's very technical, mm. you know, and you use it for sports reasons. So, um, so that was that was my question. Like, wow, so that doesn't belong to him. That's why it's bad. I'm like, okay, what's the difference with steroids then? Because none of that shit belongs to him. Mm. So I know that there's certain quote unquote steroids that you can use and it causes an inflammatory effect mm. and certain places where you inject it, it causes that effect and people use it for that same reason for muscle hypertrophy. So <clears throat> what's the difference? Yeah. It's all, it's all using technology to so what's the difference? change so, the way you look. So, but I still don't agree with the whole encycling thing because it actually does more damage. People have had heart attacks and, oh, really? and yeah, because it's an oil. So eventually that oil, the body has to absorb that oil. And I know for, you know, Oh, didn't Milos, uh, uh, search Didn't he have a heart attack or something? No, from it that? wasn't Milos. Um, it was a few other guys. I don't want to say their, sure, say sure. their name, but I know it wasn't Milos because okay. I mean, there's some people who pass away from it. So you imagine that yeah. thick oil that doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. And it's so thick. And if you understand, you know, um, how the body is, the muscle fibers are tiny. Hence why we couldn't use uh, certain drugs that they use for uh, horses. Remember back in the days, um, it was a lot of drugs that people use for, that they use for horses because, wow, horses are incredible. Their muscle fibers are huge, right? So that oil can go through that. Mm. But so it would just sit there. So people would get these used, uh, what is it called? Abscess. Abscess and everything. Yeah. And we'd have to have body parts cut out. So it, it just doesn't make sense to use it. And when you ask about myself, um, before I used them, um, I tried it in my shoulders uh, and my arms. And I just want to see. So my arms actually start tearing the skin. So it, it always did. My skin, you can see stretch marks now all through here, even oh, yeah. in my forearm. So it always tore because I'm naturally a skinny, skinny guy. Um, but what I seen is, is that, you know, it's my skin start tearing more and it started looking more bloated and whatever. And I didn't have, you know, the separation that I normally have. So I'm like, ah, it's not working for me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I won't use it anymore, but, but everyone has these gifts. You know, we used to say, you know, like, you know, he's a delt monster, you know, or he's a quad monster or look quadzilla, mm -hmm. you know, cause everybody has their gift. So for me, I'm always arm dominant. You know, even as a kid, you go back, if you're a historian, go back and look at my kids. All it has is bicep, triceps, and balls. That was it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and, and still now, so people, ah, oh, you use Synthroid. I'm like, okay. I use a lot yeah. of crap. You know, are you still using them? I'm like, really? Why? Cause your arm, look at your arms. They don't look real. I'm like, wow. So even now, yeah, look, look at, at this. Yeah. Cross race and everything. Yeah. So what they said is, even now, you know, like, you're retired, you're still young. I'm like, really? When I do that, I'm like, ah, you you just figured out a way to to, to inject the oil deep into the muscle where <laughs> the striasis doesn't go. I'm like, yeah. So as an ass, Stan, um, you know, Stan Efferty, you know, White Rhino is what I call him, had his joke. So he does his video. Yes, <clears throat> we created this great oil and Flex has perfected it. Please contact <laughs> us at this email. <laughs> Let's make we'll some money off of this. <laughs> thousands and thousands uh, of emails. I had to do a rebuttal. Like, oh, so it was joking. a joke. <laughs> I'm like, he's joking, you dicks. He's joking with you guys, but it showed me how many people really. Yeah. So anyway. <clears throat> Bodybuilding's always been that, that. you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, first of all, a lot of people enter it because they either feel bad about themselves or want to build an armor. 
Um, it's a very solitary sport. It's extremely competitive. Yeah. Um, and people are always trying to take it to the next level. And I always, I've always said this, the good and the bad, let's talk about the good. Like bodybuilders are the pioneers of learning how things affect the body. They're the pioneers about how to we used to always joke, work like your we diet. We have our own little white coat in a, in a backyard. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of these Olympic athletes and stuff, they have a lot. They, they should thank the bodybuilders for being yeah, the, the kind of pioneers for for trying a lot of this stuff. What do. what do you think is going on uh, nowadays? I see all these bodybuilders going over to the Middle East and gaining like 30 pounds all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah. Is there something like, we've, we're asking everybody like, are they you know, taking I don't, something different? I, know, I don't know. I mean, I know all of them. I know the owner. I, I've been to the gym before and I hear these rumors that, you know, they, they, they started making these jokes and jokes always come from somewhere. Oh, it's an anabolic chicken. So it was a joke <laughs> that, you know, they're putting more anabolics in it and the chicken, whatever. But, you know, so, my thing about the drug thing, as we're talking about it, and I'm like, you know, let me blow your mind here. Here's my thought on it. My argument always was, you know, if we use, we use to try to better ourselves to take care of our family to make amends, and we're pretty healthy, we're more aware of the body. Why is it not acceptable? And later on, it became where, you know, testosterone became a contraceptive. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So now it's okay to give a man, you know, testosterone at a certain level because, you know, it's a contraceptive. I'm like, really? So you assholes just figure out a way to make it better when you want. But how do you make this better? i like, how many people, how dangerous is, quote unquote, let's continue using the word steroids sure. because it's more well known. How dangerous is it? Oh, it's so dangerous, really? So I can give you an overdose of any steroid, an overdose. You're not going to die. If it's your first time overdose, you're probably nothing's never going to happen to you. If you overdose a lot of times later on in life, you may have complications of your liver, your kidney. I can give you an overdose of aspirin and kill you. I can give you an overdose of sugar and I can kill you dead. I can give you an overdose of alcohol and I can kill you dead. Birth control is more dangerous. Birth control is a form of steroids because some women back in the old days used to use it because birth control, as women know, they all come in different strengths Mm -hmm. and you got to figure it out. And same thing, I can give you overdose of birth control and kill you. So really, what's more dangerous? So it's not about what's more dangerous, it's what's acceptable. So I'm like, okay, so drugs, and they're bad. How about alcohol? Oh, because they can sell it legal. I'm like, wow, I remember a point in time when a prohibition, it wasn't legal, but they figured out a way to make tax, so it's legal, so it's not as dangerous. Because if I remember correctly, alcohol has killed more people than anything, Mm. and other people's people other people's kids and children and husbands and wives. So I go, so why is that still okay? You know, let's talk about cigarettes. Yeah, my argument against against anabolics has always been, uh, when people ask me, should I use them? My, my argument's always, well, if you're going off of them, it's what's going to be the tough part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and may, the physiological aspects of going off of them. And, mentally, too. And the, mentally, the mental, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many, a lot of people are not prepared, or at least the types of people who are prepared to take anabolics to change their body forget competitors you're not even on stage because most people that take anabolic steroids don't even compete yeah those people that take them are the same people who are gonna have the hardest time going off sure mentally to watch your your gains go away and all that stuff and then of course you know no physiologically and and mentally is going to be the worst uh, thing but i I just want to quickly because i want to be too long on this drug thing is cigarettes we've known them to have the most deadly things in them why can they still sell them the surgeon general says right there that this will kill you cause but it's still there. Let's go deeper. Cocaine. Why don't you chase the people who do that? Oh, I get it. Because if you chase those people, you're going to end up at the CEO of some great company or some congressman or some president of some. So, oh, I get it now. So it's not about how bad it is. It's about what demographics that you guys put it at. 
because right now we already know that cig- cigarettes and, and alcohol is the top of the list. But steroid is banned and it's bad and boo-hoo and all this that, and other. But it's okay that you, no disrespect to anybody, because my thing is like cut your own backyard. Mm-hmm. You're right? So mm-hmm. you understand that? Cut your own backyard. But now saying that, for a person who goes out and get drunk, drunk off their ass is not worse for them because that's actual drug for them. They can't do it out, right? And you have alcoholics, which, you know, for a very different reasons, or a person who smokes, we know that it's a chain smoke, it's a drug, but those aren't worse. But they look at our sport or any sport that utilize, you know, sports technology as the black widow of everything. Oh, it's like what you said. It's because it's illegal. So there's a stigma that's around it. And but it's the even, irony, more, the it's irony, even more than that, though. It's like, like you it c- compare. Because like, it is legal. Yeah. Right. Well, we talked about yeah. we talked about marijuana when you first walked in. I offered you a joint. You said, no, thanks. <laughs> and I mean, th- that's a perfect example. I mean, look how harmless that is. And that's been illegal forever. Yeah. There's been a stigma around yeah. that. Oh, they forever. finally got it legal. Yeah. Right. Thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. All, yeah. it's all about who they th- it's, it's all about perception. I mean, look, yeah, at, look here's the deal. You talked about cocaine earlier. The penalties for crack are far higher than the penalties for cocaine. That's fact. Who uses cocaine and who uses crack? I remember seeing the studies on that on TV. It blew me away. It's all about who they're trying to target. That's all it is. 100%. Yeah. And and you're an athlete. You're on TV. You're representing all the, you know. And how that actually really happened is we were, because, you know, thankfully during my era, it was never illegal. It's a class three felony now. I, I'm, I'm not a great person, but, you know, as far as knowing knowledge, but I was an officer before I graduated from post in 86 and I worked for the sheriff department. So I'm aware of some things. So mm-hmm. back then I remember my teachers, and my instructors asked me about the drug. And at that time it had just uh, actually at that time it had just got to where it was about to be a class three. And I warned them like, you know, this is coming down as a class three. OK, never mind. But before it was not a class three, we can travel with it. It's a class three now. And the reason why is because, unfortunately, it's very, very popular, right? Extremely popular. So, and to give you historically, it was actually back in the Hitler days when it was invented, right? That was one of the first testing of that. The SS troops, they gave them drugs to be able to do things that ought not to. I wasn't there at the first Olympics. Hitler was. Hence the drug was. So mm. all since then, I remember watching football and baseball and, you know, these boys are just big old country fat boys with 23 inch necks, you know, just really? <laughs> <clears throat> I wasn't there, but I knew the drug was there. But my my point is, you know, um, actually, I lost my thought. No Let me. I got it. I got it. Um, so my my point is, it's, it's not about that. It's it's a deeper thing than that. You know, the, the whole drug thing, it's, it's not about it. I mean, our mm-hmm. number one saying here globally is take two aspirin and call me in the morning. We're a drug population. Take two aspirin and call me. I don't want to deal with you. Take two aspirin and see what happens. That's the drug right there. And it's, it's just the way it is, but it's sad. Um, yeah. Don't, don't even, don't get me started on that. I'll tell yeah. you, it's, it's, it's a, it's the most insane assault on humanity to throw someone in jail for doing something to themselves. That's very strange. Right. It's and a very, I'll, very strange I'll end thing. it on what I was going to get at is the reason why it became a class three felony and so indicative now is because it got involved with cocaine and heroin and all those drugs. So the same sellers who were selling cocaine, heroin, and all oh, that start that. selling steroids because it's very profitable. Mm. They don't care about the drug. They care about profit. So when that happened and the mafia started getting into selling it high, it got on their radar. Interesting. I did not know that. That is interesting. I I wanted to ask you how you just recently competed in a a classic competition. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about your health because I know you had had mentioned earlier in the episode you had to have kidney replacement. And people, I'm sure, ask you all the time. I know the answer because I'm familiar with you, Mm -hmm. but for our audience – 
A, was it due to uh, any anabolic uh, steroid use or your bodybuilding lifestyle? Um, and then B, how's your health now in regards to it? No, I was completely doing my sex habit. I used to just do freaky things and it was just damaging <laughs> on the body. But no, I mean, no, uh, you know, it's, it's a disease. Um, it's a focal glomerulosclerosis. Um, don't know how I contracted. I, I'm aware of it a little bit more, but it's, it's the aggress- most aggressive and deadliest kidney disease known to man. There's no cure to it. Um, we all pass away from our disease. Um, unless we get a kidney transplant. And I've actually met parents who had teenagers who are on their third and fourth kidney because it's rabbits, their new kidney. Wow. So I'm really fortunate to be here 15 year- years later on the same um, kidney and everything. My my health is great. And I knew that there was going to be a really big stigma about me coming back and competing. I'm like, oh, you just, and I got ripped apart. Oh, you got a blessing. You got a new kidney. You're going to go and F that off again. You know, mm-hmm. great for you. You know, like, I'm like, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't know I could, you know, in a way that I could do it. So um, but you know, to get into that, I, I wanted to do it for a bigger reason, you know, to go back on stage again earlier, because what we talked about, I've met so many people all over the world who've been through really, really dark times and been, you know, as we say in the military, you know, been out in dark waters, you know, really deep, dark waters, you know, and you just imagine yourself being out in the middle of the ocean and it's deep and it's dark and there's nothing around you. And that's a lifestyle that a lot of us has lived. So, I remember joking, saying, um, I'm never going to compete again because I've been in a fight with Jason and Freddy Cougar, and they both whipped my ass at the same time, <laughs> meaning I have so many scars all over me from mm. all my surgeries. I'd be too embarrassed. But after meeting people who had worse scars than me, you know, um, and they would ask me, you know, how do they live? And people, you know, who have worse, you know, transplants than me and, you know, and third and fourth transplants, everything I've been through, back surgery, knee surgery and all that stuff. I'm like, wow, I need to make a stance you know, for these people. So it was never about me. I knew I couldn't compete against these young guys. And I would point blank said, I cannot beat these young cats. It's going to be an honor to stand on stage with them, but I got to do it for a bigger reason. And it was just my way of trying to show people, hey, listen, if I've been through all this and I can stand up here with my ratchet ass, ripped all apart and say, hey, I'm still trying. You have no excuse. But I can't say you don't have no excuse unless I go do it. So as we said before, people given certain gifts or whatever, I knew that was just something I had to do for people who just have just, I mean, for some of us, it's just hard waking up the next morning or you wake up and like, okay, I made it through today. I'll kill myself tomorrow. So that was my way of just standing there and saying, hey, listen, I'm still fighting. And if any of you have ever invested any power in me and said, hey, you did it. Maybe I can. Then here I am standing again. Hey, I'm doing it. Maybe you can. And, and health is good now. Everything. Health is great. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, so my, my numbers are getting worse, but I'm on my 15th year. So with, my, with a kidney transplant, period, even if you don't have my disease, I think the average is seven years that you can live on it before it starts declining. And from there, it's based on your, your donor. So all my factors were actually worse because my donor was a woman. So obviously a woman is not going to sustain a man's body, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. And she was very petite. So it's a smaller kidney. Mm-hmm. Um, and we almost actually lost her kidney on the table, they told me, because she was so petite that her main artery was too short to fit inside me. So they had to take another artery out of mine to make that happen oh, wow. or else they would have just put her kidney back in me, in her, and that would have been it. So, and then about um, about three months after my transplant, I, had a, I got really, really sick. I got the flu. So the thing about a kidney is we have to take an uh, anti- um, 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 Like like medicine so your body yeah, doesn't reject yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. anti-rejection yeah, Immunosuppressants, yeah. Immune suppressants, yeah. So when you get sick, your body amps up 
to beat off this disease. Well, the problem or the sickness, uh, the mm-hmm. flu or whatever, or a coughing cold or whatever. So your body doesn't recognize anything except what it's meant to be in it. So it looks at the kidney as a foreign body. So as I get sick and my body amps up with these immune uh, to try to build up my immune system, it's actually attacking the kidney. So what they do is based on how sick I get, they then make a decision that I got to go in a hospital and they're trying to kill off the flu without trying to kill the kidney. And it's a balance, but it does damage the kidney mm-hmm. because they got to win that. So when that happens, that weakens the kidney. So anyway, long story short is here I am almost 15 years later and my creatinine level is, I just had it checked actually a couple of days ago, it was 2.7. So 2.7 is not great, but my new number, once I got my kidney transplant, became 2.0. Fresh when my kidney was at a stronger. So you've so, only got a 0. 0.7. 0. 0.7 in all these years. Yeah, 0. Mm-hmm. 0.7. But, um, you know, um, one of the biggest things that the telltale sign they know now to look for with this disease is if you're le- leaking um, protein. Mm-hmm. So now I... All these years up until last year, I was leaking zero protein. So now it's at plus one. So it's starting to climb. So, of course, the kidney is starting to fail. But, I mean, after 15 years, I, I remember talking to the doctors when I was in the hospital and they ran a 24-hour analysis on me where I urinated for 24 hours. They took my blood for 24 hours. And they're like, and they, I remember them sending them in a room. I'm sick as a dog. And they're like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he goes, no. He goes, your kidney is functioning at 70%. And this is 14 years later, 70% is functioning. He goes, some people don't even function at 70% with both kidneys. And he goes, you know, um, you know, wow, this is great. And I go, no, it isn't. It's just, it's the man upstairs. You know, that's just his will. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, whatever. But still, I'm like, whatever to you, but I, <laughs> I get it. So um, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the numbers are now, but I know now I'm leaking, you know, point one where when I had kidney failure, I was at 16 grams which is deadly. So I'm at one now. So I know it's climbing, but you know, I mean, it never meant to happen uh, Mm. to be here 14 years later when the average is 17, uh, seven years. And here I am going into my 15th year and I still feel fine. I still look good, but I know my numbers. So I know it's coming, Mm -hmm. you know, I know it's coming, but I've always known that that is going to be coming. I thought it was going to be a lot sooner. You know, I thought it was going to be around three years that well, I would you, last. You look healthy and you look good, man. <clears throat> that's, that's, I feel great. That's yeah. amazing. Feel great. Now, have you, and it's just a man upstairs. I mean, yeah. Have you now? Do you have to? Or do you? Are you still on HRT? Or do you think you're? Yeah, gonna, yeah. So I can't go off. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you that because yeah. so this is something that uh, I fucked with steroids, and I shared this on the show a lot. Yeah. I fucked with steroids a lot in my early twenties, not knowing what I was doing. Yeah forever impacted me but i didn't really yeah. it didn't really catch up to me until i turned about 30 mm. and i went and got tested realized that my what hormone was level at 200 200 oh, yeah yours was better than mine oh wow you were worse than that 79 oh wow yeah yeah the so, guy joked he goes your son who's uh three years old has more testosterone yeah. i'm like but I, I don't care you know my my thing was and i'll let you finish my thing was like i've been sticking myself for over half my life I'm good. I don't give a damn. Right. 79, I go, I, I don't care. And, you know, my libido is not as crazy as it was before, but it should have never been where it was. I go, I'm comfortable with this. I, don't, I just <laughs> yeah. don't care. Yeah. And, that, so I'm The reason why I'm asking this, I'm just curious for mm-hmm. myself because I'm still. So I, at 30, I went on HRT. Uh, 31 or 32 ish was when I actually decided to compete. Um, and when I competed, 
that was when I started to ramp my dosage up. So I was taking mm-hmm. a very mild dose in my early 30s. And then and it got into competing. As I started to ramp up, I started to take a, a higher dose. And like I said, I never really got over 400 milligrams mm-hmm. of testosterone, which is not very high. No. Um, but I did consist- Women take more than that. Right, right, right. So they do these days. It's crazy <laughs> to me. But I did consistently take that, you know, with no breaks or anything for over four or five years yeah, straight. Wow. You didn't come off? No. And and now I, I've been off for over a year and mm. trying to naturally bring it back up. And I'm still kind of in the floor. I'm not. Where are you at now? Uh, I have. So we have a Everly Wells, a company that we're sponsored by that does like an at home spit test. Yeah. And so they don't use they the don't same. They don't use the same uh, okay. range but, or whatever. But in their yeah. range, I'm considered in the low normal. So I've actually Uh, broke into the quote unquote normal. So what I probably think if you were to compare it to the test that we're familiar with blood where it's 400 to about 1200, I'm probably about 400 now, which that's a big victory for me. Although I feel like shit as far as what I used to. Athletes, their, their natural levels are higher. That's why they can do crap that Mm -hmm. other people can't do. So your low 400 probably is low to you because you're gifted to be more than that. Um, and the same as, you know, when we were talking about drugs, it's, it's funny because I, I met great athletes from some incredible sports. I remember sitting down talking to, you know, I won't say a guy or a girl, but this young person that was there in Wimbledon and they won a few times and we're talking about drugs and we're very comfortable talking to another athlete. It's, it's just, Hey, unwritten law, right, unless you're yeah. a dick. So we're talking about the stuff I'm using. He's talking about the stuff he, I just said he. <laughs> he's talking about the stuff he's using. I'm like, why? Why Why would you use that? I understand what every drug does. I'm like, why would you use that? He goes, Flex, how do you think tennis is won? That power. He goes, power, speed, mm-hmm. and endurance. And right when he said that, I'm like, click, 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 click. Those three drugs would do that. And I met people from cross uh, cross um, cross skiing that uh, oh, cross country skiing cross country skiing. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Same thing, power, speed, and endurance. Well, it works. And the same people who run, they drop, they shoot, and all that stuff. All these crazy sports, obviously cycling and everything else, but it's. It's just here. It oh, is it's what prevalent. It is. It I, is. I think it's actually funny that we <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really funny that I mean, I'm a like I, I was a big I'm a big Giants fan. I'm pro Barry Bonds. When mm. that when he got drugged through the mud over that, I, I'm I crazy. was just like, are you fucking kidding me? I got drugging that too at Victor Conti. He's a very close friend of mine. Oh, so yeah. that Balco Laboratory, I got called up and all that stuff. So yeah, I I never met with Barry, but I I met um with the one girl, um the track star. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I can't remember her name. Yeah, though. Joiner Joiner no. no. Oh, that's no, that's no, a no. sister. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I met her and all those people. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, hmm, should I say that or not? <laughs> <laughs> it's my pump. You say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I remember, and I won't say how I found out, but I remember being explained to once the cameras turned off when they were in Victor's place, Balco, once the cameras turned off and all the film left, the people there that were enforcing everything once they took off their gear they sat down and talked to him they were his clients oh wow and they were like man we're sorry wow we got the call we had to go and it's just it's amazing it's just hypocritical uh, it's just yeah it's, i get more frustrated at the people that they get all angry about it and putting their two cents in and that they no- probably drink and they probably smoke or right. do something else really and yeah. you're going to try to cut my backyard right. really right unless you're spotless you have nothing to say right 
Yeah. And, and then you want to put an asterisk by him, like take all the credit of what that kid probably put into all the years of his life to be as it's great as he hum- was. Yeah, it, it's just, I think it's human nature. It's the same as you get it. I don't, well, for men, but I, I see it more in women. You know, a woman walks by, she's really great. So, I used to look like that. Wait till she can have a couple of babies. She'll be just, that's no effing excuse. You just shit on yourself. That's all. You didn't take care of yourself. You let yourself flop, but you're looking at somebody else and you're blaming them for all the attributes. No, that's, yeah. stop it. I remember, Back then, you know, we'd walk into a club and I never, I don't believe in going out. And if I ever did, it'd have to be at least 10 of us because I understood people are stupid mm-hmm. and they're going to say, oh, steroids, blah, blah, blah. So you're going to have to fight. So I understood, you know, when one of us walked through the door, then the next one, we're all 240. Oh, well, not even that. We're like 290, 300. So after you, after you see like the, the fourth person walk through the door and he's three plus, you're not going to say nothing, right? <laughs> but you see, you, I, I, I'm great at reading people. So you see the guy, you know, he sit with a bunch of girls and he leans over. Yeah, so the girls look yeah. at you and then he leans over, blah, blah, blah. And you're like this. I'm like, so I would just be a dick. I walk, I'm like, hey, really? I go, so you think my nuts are small, right? Let her find out. <laughs> so- and then I'm like, I didn't say nothing. Like, you know what? You just proved you're a punk because your girls know what you really said and they're seeing how you are right now. So now you're exploiting yourself as being a little bitch. <laughs> and I just walk away. But you just got guys. This, so what happened is it wasn't about the steroid. It's just they felt inferior. Yeah. And because you pointed out something, not meaning to, but he just looked at you and identified to you and he felt inferior. He's uncomfortable. It's human nature. Mm -hmm, You got to be a really strong individual to look at another person like, God dang, man, you look great. Right. That's a real person. That's a real woman. That's a real guy. It just don't happen that often. Well, I think people need to realize we've done episodes on this, but I I could take all the gear in the world and I I wouldn't look as good as a top pro bodybuilder when they're natural. And I can train all day long like Usain Bolt and I'm still going to be ass dirt slow. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, that's right. That's yeah. right. I want to I want to take you another direction right now and uh, you said I'm going to back you up because you said something great earlier on and I want you to elaborate on it before I take you that other direction. You said that uh, I don't see color. There's only good people yeah. and bad people. Yeah. And I think that's really special and unique coming from someone like you that's probably dealt with discrimination and things uh, like that. I want yeah. you to elaborate. Especially in fr- where you're from. Wasn't that like the... <laughs> right. Was it, Ku Klux Klan. There was a KKK. F-14, was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah F-14s. Uh, yeah, but the KKK, the police officers, I, I witnessed to my, my older brother being beaten a lot by a police officer and I would just stand there and he would just like, run, can you just run? Don't... don't and I, I'm... I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a little kid, but I want to jump in there and try to help him. He's mm-hmm. just getting his ass stumped, you know? And I'm like, and he was just like, no, just, just turn away. But what I recognize, just because you have some officers who are bad, that don't make all of them bad. It's a very honorable thing. And that's why I want to become one. When everyone's running away, they're running towards, you know, um, they're the worst person you want to see. You don't want to see them at all. Fuck you, officer pig, but you got a problem. Who are you calling? Mm-hmm. You know, so I respect that. And, and at a young age, I understood that just like I understood all white people aren't bad. And when they betray all black people bad, all black people aren't bad. But I know some, right? Mm-hmm. So I, again, identified it's just good and there's bad. You know, good and bad police officers, good and bad white people, black people. I've had worse happen to me from black people than I have white people. You know, so I just understand that there's just good and bad. So I find it, I find it, uh, here's the, when I see stuff like that, like right now, what's happening right now with, uh, with Kaepernick and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Nike, Here here's, <laughs> here's, yeah, here. And by the way, we talked about this a little bit. The other day. That's when I knew I really liked it. Uh, I really liked it. Like, but here's the thing. It's like, you have a, you have a situation that happens, but then you have politicians and people with power 
who use that situation to separate everybody yeah. as much as they possibly can because when you can separate people, they're easier to manipulate. Sure, you can pick them off. Absolutely. So a guy like Kaepernick, who is peacefully protesting, whether you agree with him or not, right. that's what he's doing. He's peacefully protesting. But politicians are turning it into it's a it's against cops or it's against all cops right, yeah. or it's against the military. Yeah. So now you've got like these two camps and people feel like they have to take a side. Yeah. Like you either like the military or you or you're you're pro minority or pro military. It's mm-hmm. like you can be both. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I I, I seen the post. Uh, actually a friend of mine showed me the post. I'm like, oh my God, I was eating at the protein house and one of the owners showed me like, oh my God, are you kidding? So I'm like, fine, I need to find a picture. So I found it and I I I posted it. And um yeah, it went viral and it was very controversial and and it it illuminated something I already knew. You know, they say, you know, here in the United States, we have a right to protest, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. I've always known that was a lie. And, you know, I've done other posts that that I got ripped apart about. And I just, I find it interesting that some of the messages I got, I got some military people saying, hey, you know, F you, you know, you don't support the military. I don't support you or officers or, you know, don't piss on a flag and all that. And I'm like, exactly when did I say that? And I didn't respond to everybody because mm-hmm. it, it's just, I think it's over four, 400 comments now. But I'm like, exactly when did I say that? So they're identifying to me and Cap because I guess Cap may have said some negative things about officers or wore pigs on his socks. Sure. I, I, I respect him and I stand behind him for the stance that he's taking about, you know, equality. Sure. So just because I represent him or I respect him on that, I have to respect him on all his views. That's really interesting because I respect officers but I don't respect all officers because of their views. Cause I know there's good and there's bad that's happened. It's proven. So if I have to take a side and a person's done bad things and good things, then it makes me a part of all that. Then I guess I shouldn't respect any officers cause bad things have happened. I guess I shouldn't respect any military cause bad things have happened. I guess I shouldn't respect our flag because bad things have happened. I guess I shouldn't, you know, respect the national anthem because I know the real first national anthem that was written when it had slaves in it. You know, I don't know if you guys do, but you can research it. You know, when the uh, British came over, and the United States already had slaves, and the British said, hey, listen, any of you slaves who want to be free, come fight with us, and you'll be free forever. And that's what happened. So none of that bothers me, because I understand that I can respect a person for one part of what he's, what he's saying and not the next, you know, other thing. It doesn't make everybody wrong. And now I've been balled up that I'm anti-American and you know, I even had my, my team look at it and as of right now, I've lost over 600 followers because of it. And I'm like, I, that doesn't bother me. You know, the way I look at it is whether you agree or not, I mean, I'm not a big Kaepernick fan. I'm not a big football fan, period. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really watch the sport. And I'm not a huge Kaepernick fan just because I saw him wear a, a Che Guevara shirt. And, you know, it's, th- th- that to Who me that? seems ignorant. I heard about that too. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Here's yeah. A, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, I have a very good, very, very close friend who's a, a veteran. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he goes, look, the, the very reason why we I served is to fight for people's right to protest. Mm. So whether I agree with him or not, I will always fight for someone's right to be able to do that. Yeah. Now, of course, the NFL is a pro, you know, private organization. They yeah. can fire him over it as well. Yeah. But I just think it's funny how well, I took people the, divide so strong. Yeah. I, I actually took the the opposite side with the intent of stirring the pot. <laughs> okay. So I actually I posted a, a Pat Tillman meme that people had already gone viral, and I already knew there was a bunch of it triggered a ton of people. And I wrote I wrote under it I said uh, better um, same message yeah better man. same message better man. 
And then I and then I uh, did a, a funny meme on Kaepernick, knowing damn well what I was going to do. Yeah. And I stirred stirred everybody up who started sending stuff to me. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not choosing military here, and I'm not choosing what what he stood up for. In fact, I'm pro what Kaepernick stood up for. In mm-hmm. fact, I think that he, I'm I think that's awesome that he stood up for that right. What I'm trying to unveil to everybody that's listening and watching watching me on Instagram is the last post that I did after that, which was when I showed how much Nike is getting right now oh. from all the advertising. <laughs> exactly. yeah. 48 million, which is more money than Kaepernick is going to get paid. So Nike used Kaepernick as a pawn in this situation. Mm-hmm. And they really don't give a fuck about his cause. I don't care what how they pitch it and they, they say it. They care about making money. That's money. their business and mm-hmm. they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're dividing all of us as a nation and here we are. Arguing. Yeah, and even right. having this conversation right. because of it. Exactly. You're Oh, you're you're pro him. I'm pro him. And it, we're, we're getting into this debate. Meanwhile, everyone's talking about Nike mm. who slid their name into a conversation that they didn't even belong into. Yeah. And so that was the reason why I did that because I am. I'm pro him being able to stand up. I'm pro what he was standing up for. But I'm also pro the NFL Letting him go Mm. because it's just like, and I gave the analogy that if one of my employees who's supposed to show up at eight o'clock and work here every single day decided to not come to work as a protest for a cause that he believes in, his ass will probably get fired. Mm. Even if I believe he's got a good cause, Mm. I respect the cause. I respect me, but I also, this is my business and you hurt me financially. Mm. Kaepernick hurt the NFL financially big time. Can Mm. we blame them for firing him or not allowing him to play? It's it's either or. So me, it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree. I, I understand and I have the ability easily to say I agree or let's agree that we disagree mm-hmm. and move on. That's how I am. So people who said negative things, that's fine. You have that right to do that. If you disagree with that, that's fine that you have the right to do that. I'm everybody. So my real people who know me know that I'm pro-military, know that I'm behind the military, know that I'm behind. I've traveled all over the world for the military, uh, you know, know that I was a police officer and how I speak. Mm-hmm. I already said, listen. I got into it because it's the most honorable thing to do, yet I watch people get beaten of them, but it doesn't make all of them, you know, um, bad. So that don't really bother me. And the people who do not follow me, you know, or say, you know what, I've lost all respect for you. That's fine because I understand now you never respected me because you don't even know who I am. And here we are supposed to be in the United States and you unrespect me because of my views are different than yours. You're actually worse than the people that we're fighting against. And this last beautiful thing is, you know, I have a friend, and I won't say his name, but done some interesting, interesting, interesting things for the military. You know, he's retired now and, you know, because he got injured, but just uh, some great, interesting things. You know, we train together every once in a while. And uh, he goes, I hate Cap. He goes, but I respect what the fuck he said. And he goes, that shit has nothing to do with the flag, has nothing to do with the officer. He goes, they're spinning all that stuff and it's stupid. And I watch how people slander you and beat you up. And he goes, I just laugh at it. He goes, but just know from me, we know it has nothing to do with the flag or us. And the last thing I'll say is I think the joke that I sent to you is, um, you know, Nike is being boycotted by a lot of Americans because they put Cap as their 30th year face or whatever. Yet the Catholic has been raping kids for centuries, yet they haven't been boycotted. Mm-hmm. Fact. Okay. So like you said, Kaepernick is priestly doing it. You have a, a organization, very powerful organization that has been raping kids for centuries. They just had that huge, uh, that huge case in Pennsylvania. Yeah. With the, like something like a thousand 
thousand children affected and like 300 priests. Yeah, I mean, and the Pope is not even saying anything no. about it. And, and so, but and here, here, United States is getting mad at this one guy because he says, you know what? You know why? Because we're told to be angry about that. Yeah, That's you why. know, and and you're ignorant not to t- take your own stand instead of so. You know, I, I've gotten people like, you know what, Flex, I don't agree with you. I mean, I, I disagree with you on that point, but I respect you for mm-hmm. standing for what you believe in. And I'm like, hey, man, great. I respect you, too. So it should be able to be done. That's what America is yeah. supposed to be about. But that post and your post yeah. proves that we're not really that. No, right? man, I tell you what, it, it, whether you agree with Cap or not, the most American thing you could possibly do is peaceful uh, civil disobedience. Yeah. That is that is in our fabric. It's yeah. exactly now you you remember you remember the and I, the, I trust me this is all connected because we're all around around the same age. You remember you're not the, as the, old than I am uh, uh, about yeah. to say. Well, you're, I think you're a little older. <laughs> you remember the you remember the cola. We're older. Look, it's that yeah. good. No, yeah. you don't look that. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the cola wars, right? Pepsi versus Coke. Oh yeah. Okay. People, a lot of people don't realize that Pepsi and Coke behind closed doors organized that. Yeah, cahoot. And they came out with the ads. My ours is better than theirs, and this that. And what it did is it took away shares from Seven Up and Sprite and all the other. Because it made them the controversy. Because it yeah. made people think they had to pick between only two, two. choices. Yeah. And this is the game that they're playing. Right now, you're told you need to care about or that you need to pick a side with, with Kaepernick. You're told that there's only two sides, but in reality, the same it's two sides of the same coin. It's the same people pulling the strings, mm. and they want us to divide and separate. When in reality, people really don't want to divide and separate. We want to, we all kind of want to work together. Mm. And they, that's the worst, that's the, that's the biggest be the fear. the worst thing that, that if we all come together. Listen, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a point is the, the national anthem. I think. I forgot how many years ago that the military paid for that to happen for the sport because it didn't ha- used to happen. That's before. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't remember that, so it was never nothing you know uh, political or American about right. it. It was a business. They paid them to do that. Right. People don't know that. Here's the thing: um, they say, okay, you should stand for the national anthem. What I understand is Kaepernick used to sit down for the national anthem, but one of his buddies in the military said, you know what, don't do yeah. that. Just go ahead and take a knee so you don't disrespect nobody. Only when he took a knee, they started thinking it was disrespectful. Right. Here's my point on that. So you're supposed to stand for the national anthem, be quiet, take your, your hat off. And if you don't, it's disrespectful. Uh, so the people out there tailgating, they don't stop drinking. They don't take their hats off. They're still loud. All the dickheads who are disrespecting people because of their beliefs or the way they think about it, when they're at home mm-hmm. watching that damn game, they don't stand up, take their hat off, stop drinking. Well, so. Look- it's it's really so. I want to say that to everybody who's against anyone who said, "Hey, you should stand." Or is this? Do you stand at your home? How about other sports when they play their national anthem? Do you stand up? Do you right. stop talking? Do you? No, you don't. You t- come on, man. That's right. just a bunch of BS. Well, all these people that are that are taking their shoes and burning them, and all of a sudden they care. <laughs> you know what? It's like, why don't you give those shoes yeah. to like a homeless veteran? Yeah. Yeah, this is or, all or, about this is all about money and power. Yeah. When's and the last Nike, time you went Nike to a veteran? Is the one who's, yeah. Nike's the one who's making out on all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. It ain't about it ain't about the cause. It ain't about the military. It's it's about exploiting this whole situation. That's the totally. un, that's the unfortunate. And, and what you're saying, you know, um, if it's true about Nike um, using Cap as a pawn, what I do is I take back, um, you know, a strategic, you know, war view is Kaepernick had to be that because he got his message out to a greater, you know. So is it a pawn for him? Even though Nike might be looking at it, you got to look at your position because sure. of that. It empowered him to have this conversation and billions of people to respond. You know, the, and it, the uh, thing I wonder though now with with when we do protests like this and the awareness and and because it stuff moves so fast and because very not as many people can have 
a rational, intelligent conversation like this, sometimes I wonder if it does as much harm as it does good. You know, um, I'll use this analogy, and it's a really bad one. Well, then don't use it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's volatile. Uh, okay. uh, it's, I'll use two. You know, war is ugly, but sometimes, not all the wars that we've been in, I'm not going to get into that, but war is horrible and ugly. But if it didn't happen, awareness wouldn't happen and change when it came, right? Millions of people die. It's unfortunate that that had to happen for that change to come because if not, it would have continued as usual and nothing would have been done. So that's, that's perception on what you're saying. And I remember this, this one officer in Los Angeles was going around, you guys remember, he was going around sniping, killing other oh, people. Yeah. That started because he was offended you know, when he was in a car, he was called an N-word while he was in a car with another other officer. And he got upset and went to fight over it. And it looked, you know, they made him feel bad about it. And he was continuously treated a certain way as a black person. So he went off and did something that I don't agree with. He started killing innocent people and, and officers and everything. I don't agree with that. Take the fight to the person. You know, don't do that. But how ugly that was, that would have never came out unless he took that ugly ass stance. And because of that ugly stance, things were rectified later on. So it's sad that you got to resort to some heinous ass crime for people to stand up and, and acknowledge it. You know, war and, and I mean, uh, slavery and all the hangings and horrible things that I've heard about tar and feather, really tar and feather. Imagine that mm. you're alive and they pour hot tar over you. So you're cooking and baking and screaming. And then as a joke, they put feathers on you. You know, being hung with your private, you know, shoved in your mouth after. Imagine all those things, but all those things had to happen for us to even be acknowledged as equals. It's sad. Mm. It's so a lot of times it's it's sad that these really ungodly things has to happen for people to stand up and take notice. Yeah. So it's perfect. It's, it's perception. Is it perception that is bad because the people had to went through that? Or is it? perception that it's bad because it changed for the people who didn't. Well, it's, well, violence is the, what is it? What is it? The word, the phrase violence is the language of those without, who don't have a voice, who can't speak. And, uh, I think it was Martin Luther King that said something like that. I, mm. I'm sure I'm, I'm butchering it, but, um, but I, I get it. Completely. Yeah. I mean, and you know, here's the deal. Um, what's happening now as a result of, cause we've had a, like a, a bunch of videos cause the internet allows information to be sh sure. shared very quickly. Sure, and I yeah. like that, but it does cause a lot of controversy, mm. but it's okay because, Things change. You know what's happening now? Police, lots of police stations now are are putting body cameras on people required to wear them. And what's interesting about this is mm -hmm. is you know because people are being recorded, you have less instances of of issues. But you also have a lot of police officers who are also uh, getting rectified are, yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I I and I agree with that. I do too. I talked to, I talked to some of my uh, my buddies who are still police officers, and they're like, you know what? I don't care about it because what it's going to do is prove you right. Yep. Exactly. So the only people are pissed about it. And his analogy is the people that's going to prove you wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if I was in a situation and, and, you, and it's known here in the United States, you get sued for anything, person in a car wreck and you help pull them out the car and they turn around and sue you because their back broke. I mm -hmm. mean, but if you had a camera to prove that their back was broke, all right, it would have proved you right. Mm -hmm. So it's sad about that, you know, but I think it's necessary and it, and, and it should have happened. And, you know, technology or photo, uh, cameras and everything, Imagine all the lies that could have went through. Like the one guy, uh, I remember seeing a video where he, um, the police officer shot him going to the car. And as the guy tried to drive away, he shot him, continue and killed him. That police officer could have said, hey, 
he took fire or took a aggressive, it would have never been known. I seen the other video where the kid's running. The cop put three in his back. Mm -hmm. He could have said that he, you know, threw a gun down or, or something like that. That would never would have been. So it's sad that it's to that point. But no, the real sadness is it's at that point. Yep. And it's been happening. So imagine how many things would have been, you know, taken care of before if the camera was there. So it's just, it's sad that we're there. I remember, you know, um, after I retired from being a police officer, actually I didn't, get, I didn't retire. I, uh, I got laid off. I was with the, the sheriff. So sheriff is the county money comes in and goes out. So I got laid off and, um, and went into bodybuilding and never had to go back. But as a pro bodybuilder, I remember, you know, getting pulled over, uh, and I could see that I'm, I'm an officer. I, I'm still aware of everything. So I know I'm speeding. So I'm speeding and I'm like, I'm looking at my, I'm like, who in the fuck is this speeding? I'm like an idiot. I imagine that, all right? Because I'm an idiot for speeding. And I see the car, I can tell because the car is going like this. That means it's traveling at a high speed because it's bouncing up and down. I'm like, who is this idiot? And as it gets closer, it's an unmarked car with two police officers. And I'm like, crap, all right. So I'm pulling up to a light. I know I'm caught already. So I just make a turn and stop right there. So I'm sitting and I'm looking in my rearview mirror and this guy's anxious. So he's getting his, you know, his, his seatbelt off and he grabs his gun and he's coming to my car with his gun drawn. I'm like, <sighs> so I'm right in public. So he says, roll your windows down. I roll both windows down and I put my hands on my stern wheel. And he goes, um, reach, you know, reach for your license. I go, my license is in my glove compartment. He goes, well, don't move too fast. I might accidentally shoot you. And I just like, fuck, this is how that happens. Yeah. So I'm in public. So, and there's a lot of people around and they recognize my car and everything. So people are yelling, hey, Flex, you all right? I'm like, no, I'm not all right. Stay right there, man. Watch this. So then he goes to his, my front windshield and all I can do is look down a barrel. Of, I'm like, I'm just staring down this empty thing. Like, wow. He goes, go ahead reach for it i go okay so i'm going to reach in my glove compartment with my two fingers i'm going to grab my wallet and pull it out and he goes go ahead real slow and i put it down and he looks at my license and um why are we speeding i'm like why you do a felony stop on me he goes what are you talking about come why you do a felony stop on me he goes no i didn't i go yeah you did you came out with your drone your gun drawn out i go i'm not answering shit i'm not saying shit i want your commander here Whoever's your commander, I want him here now. So like six cars pull up within an hour and they're all arguing behind. So um, the leading officer walks up to me and he's like, um, <clears throat> you know, um, what happened? I go, well, where your officer said the reason he did a felony stop is because my windows, you know, because I, I was too, it was, I was a real big guy in a car. I'm like, oh, because my windows are tenant. And he said that he pulled his gun because my windows are tenant and he didn't know it was in a car. So that's a lie. He goes, um, Okay. I go, so why did he do a felony stop him? He goes, he did a felony stop. I go, you know he did. He came out with his gun drawn. Well, he feared for his safety. I go, why? Uh, because you're a big in a car, yet my windows are tinted. And that's what he said. Okay, so I'm a big guy in a car. So that's why he did a felony stop. I'm like, okay. He goes, well, you thought your car was stolen because you're driving fast. All right. Okay. I said, so a felony stop. <clears throat> he never asked me for my weapon. He never secured my car. He never pulled me out, prone me down, handcuffed me, and then checked my car. So this whole time, I could still have my weapon in my car and kill all you guys because it's a felony stop, right? He never checked the car. I'm like, nah. Can I check the car? I'm like, sure. Let it be known you're asking to check the car an hour after the event. So long story short, we got into it and I went down and filed a place uh, a report and everything. But that's happened to me a number of times. It's happened to me by 
being in a $125,000 car, you know, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, picking up somebody from the airport, me being an ass blasting my music because I was in back in the 90s and having an officer yell at me, hey, turn that rock the music down. Not being an ass. Huh? I can't hear you. My music too loud, you know? So they pull out their gun and they're walking up to me. So I'm like, turn your music down. I'm like, okay, I couldn't hear you. My music's real loud. So after we get to talking and he finds out that I'm, you know, was an officer, they put their gun in their, you know, holster and start talking. I'm like, no, no, no. Pull your gun back out and continue to treat me like the asshole that you thought it was because I'm that asshole, right? But it's looking at a person based on what they're driving or how they're acting and profiling that they're this character. You can't judge a book uh, by its cover. Yeah, you know? I, I, that's, it's got to be one of the, one of the most uh, difficult jobs to do. I, 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 it is. You know, because... It's like you could be you're frightened or you're terrified or you have different ideas or you're having in a bad mood or and you have the legal authority to use force mm. to use lethal force escalated force. So if a person don't have a weapon, you can go to your baton. Right. If they have a weapon, you can go to your gun. It's not escalated. You know they say they can't fear for their life, and that's a, one of the bad things. I don't think all officers spend time in jail because you learn how to use or you know deal with a person without no weapons uh, whatsoever. But it is an extremely difficult job. You have to walk up to a car knowing you might be just pulling a person over for a broken tire. Hey, I just want to let you know. You t-, and you get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. So it is difficult. You know, like I said, when everyone, everyone's hating you, when you pull up beside him, you might just, hey, how you doing? And they're like, fuck you, man. But when something goes wrong, that's who you call in. Yeah. Right. You know, when something really, really bad happens, you're running and they're running to it. So it's a double-edged sword. But my argument is this. As an officer, and when I chose to be an officer, I chose to do that. I chose to put myself in harm's way. I chose to run towards danger or away from it, and I'm actually paid to do it. It's my job. So don't make excuses or be a dick when you're doing your job and you run into another dick. If that was, if that dick or that crime didn't happen, you wouldn't have a job. Hmm. And you asked, you went to school, and you were educated to do this job. Don't turn around like all these damn criminals and get hardened over it. You chose to do that. I just don't get it. And you're getting paid to do that. So when you see or when you have a situation like that and you think back and we talk about the Kaepernick thing and police brutality, do you think it's do you think we have more of a problem with bad people in in those positions and uh, maybe power tripping? Or do you think we have more of a race problem? I... Well, I can say one thing, you know, I'm racist. I believe in my own race. I just got to come out and say that. I believe in my own race. I believe my race was put on this earth to rule all over earth. Everyone else, the human race, I believe in that race. I see no other race. I Damn, don't. that was good. I've used that you before. You had me for a second. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, oh shit, this, this podcast is certain <laughs> negative, man. Well, I've, I've actually, when I do keynote speak and I use that, but I, I, I go a little deeper. Uh-huh. I normally say, you know what? I want everyone from my race to stand up and clap their hands and go, and they'd stand up, you know, all, of course, all the black people just stand up and go crazy. What I've done is I've exploited everyone. Mm-hmm. I've exploited everyone who stood up. And I exploited everyone who sat down. Whether you sat down or not, you've proven to me that you're not a part of my race and you don't get it. Mm-hmm. You see difference. Mm-hmm. If you stood up, you've proven to me that you don't see what I'm saying and you see race as different. That's my whole point in doing that. So normally I go into it deeper. But I am a part of the human race. That's the only race I see. Now saying that, um, as far as officers, um, it's not meant to be a job. It's a career. 
A job is McDonald's, Burger King. It's not to be, meant to be a job. And I'm dyslexic, horribly, horribly dyslexic. I almost flunked, uh, flunked police academy three times because of my dyslexia. Yet I had these other people who were very, very, very book smart. Couldn't even do a push-up. Couldn't shoot worth a shit. And I'd be like, there's no way in the world that I have you going through my, my, my having my back. <laughs> so I think it's because a lot of people, you know, choose to do this job because they're smart enough, but they're not dedicated as a career. You know, they're meant to be put on this earth to help people to run towards danger when, when every person are running from it. So, and I think it's more exploited now because of cameras, but come on, it's always been going on. What, what happened? I heard in New York with the, the one black guy, he's in jail and he dies by being assaulted by a broomstick stuff up his butt. Mm -hmm. There was no cameras to that though. Right. Mm -hmm. Come on, this crap has been going on. And I'm not just, so the other thing about the cat thing, I already said it, I don't see color. This isn't a black or white problem. This is a human problem. All of us should be treated with equality. All of us should have all equal rights, regardless of your color, creed, or financial standing. That's my big argument. It's not a black or white thing because white people are treated just as bad. Brown people are treated just as bad. We should all be treated as equal. I don't care if you're a freaking you know, freaking gay with three antennas coming out your hair and, you know, from Mars. Hey, man, if you're a human being, you should be treated as such. I'm with you. I, I think uh, people should be treated as individuals. And if you're cool, that's I'm right. cool with you. If you're not, I don't like you. And that's just about it. I, don't, I really don't care yeah. where you come from. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you on the podcast. It's been great having it. you here. Thank yeah. you. Like, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. You know, I, it's, not, it's not the pleasure for you guys. It's a pleasure that, you know, you guys think this – this person has something to say of any value and, and that's truly the, the, the pleasure. I mean, being invited here, uh, being invited anywhere all over the world, you know, people always say, well, it's a no, it's a pleasure that you just see me as a person and I have something, you know, something to say and I have, you know, some importance or whatever to offer to people. That's the true pleasure, pleasure. And I go back to, again, that's all that people want is to be treated as equal, whether you're black, white, straight, gay, lesbian, whatever. They just want to be accepted. So the pleasure is really mine to be accepted by you guys. I appreciate it. Much appreciated, Flex. Thank awesome, you. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>